and welcome back. Uh, can I use your mic? DJ, hit me! This is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Gary Hoffman. The problem, sir, is that our hero is not, uh, he's not a handsome man. Shannon Farron. The whole crowd banged together and started chanting. Gary and Shannon. That's how the show started. Did you see this headline? Joe Buck pleads public to stop sending him sex tapes to call play-by-play. Yeah. It does beg the question. Uh, who? Who would you have? <laughs> no, it, that's not the question. Call your play-by-play. Why are you sending it to Joe Buck? I think it would be Al Michaels. Exactly. Right? Al Michaels. I might even get Tony Romo in there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he'd know he what was coming. Excited. He'd be like, oh, watch this. Oh, I know exactly what's coming next. <laughs> hey, let us know who you'd want to call your play-by-play uh, at Gary and Shannon oh, on Twitter. It is, uh, it is <laughs> thankfully, it's a Tarzan Wednesday. <laughs> Tarzan could call my, uh, uh, never mind. Um, we will do a bunch of stuff today. Keeping our eyes on. Oh, 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 wait, hold on. Let yeah, me bring what? somebody back from the grave. Okay. John Facenda. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That would be great. The, the ice Frozen on tundra. the tundra. <laughs> uh, I do have somewhere. Day 18. Who would you call your sex play by play? It's a topic on the show. Uh, I have NFL Films music somewhere. I'll have to find that one. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, all right. So we're going to be paying attention to news conferences as they come up today. We understand that the governor, once again, is expected to speak at about noon today. Uh, L.A. County has shifted a little bit as everybody tries to kind of get their slot uh, into, you know, where they're going to have a, an uninterrupted and uncontested news conference. So looks like L.A. County is going to decide on uh, about one thirty. So we'll keep an eye on that. We have uh, another small business shout-out, people trying to keep their doors open. Um, we will hear from Vom Foss over in Claremont uh, a little bit later. We're going to do What You Watch on Wednesday. We have a, another gas quarantine theater movie for tonight. But first, well, here's some breaking news. China lied. What? I think that we have probably said eight out of ten times we've talked about the reports out of China. you got to take it with a grain of salt. Because you can't trust the numbers that you're getting. And I'll, I'll say this as well. We have to take take the news coming out of China with a grain of salt both directions. I mean, one of the suggestions was that China has been lying through their teeth about the actual extent of the, of the outbreak, which I believe, yes, they downplayed all of it. They originally said it wasn't transmitted human to human, all of that. But then there are, you know, these, um, I don't know if conspiracy theory is the right word, but there are suggestions that 100,000, 200,000 people died in China as a result of the outbreak, whatever it is. You, we have to take that with a grain of salt as well. If we can't trust the information coming from the government, maybe we should throw a little bit of speculation uh, or a little bit of um, perhaps side eye on some of the information that's coming out uh, that's supposed to paint them as so horrible. The report to the White House from the intelligence community is a classified report. And officials that, three U.S. officials, 
who are talking about this want to remain anonymous, of course. They said that China's public reporting on cases and deaths was intentionally incomplete, is intentionally incomplete, that the numbers are fake. Now, the outbreak began in China's Hubei province late last year. They've publicly reported about 82,000 cases and 3,300 deaths. That compares to uh, about 100,000 more cases here and about 700 more deaths here. So it doesn't really gel, right? Um, China did eventually impose some pretty severe restrictions beyond those uh, of nations like the United States. They were literally locking people in their homes. Um, The Chinese government repeatedly revised their methodology for counting the cases, uh, which ones were reported, which ones weren't. For weeks, they didn't even uh, put people who had symptoms, uh, who didn't have any symptoms at all. And only on Tuesday added more than 1,500 cases to the total of people who did not have any symptoms at all, even though they did test positive. Um, There was also concerns because there were stacks of literally thousands of urns, like cremation urns in Hubei province that has driven public doubt about whether they're reporting the true number or not. China's not the only country where they say the, the reporting is suspect. You're looking at Iran, Russia, Indonesia, especially North Korea, where not one case has been reported. Uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt may be downplaying their numbers as well. Yeah, I here's the problem. We're looking to China, right, to see how this thing progresses, when the curve flattens, how the uh, the um, the sheltering in place orders or people locked in their homes orders are affecting this. And if we're not getting the extent of what's going on, then how are we supposed to plan accordingly in this country? Right. Like it's supposed to be data sharing globally so we can track this thing and figure out how to combat it. And if the numbers are not being reported, then we're not going to get an idea of the scope, a correct idea of the scope. Yeah. The other thing is that, I mean, just in terms of how we get the scope of this, we're so far behind on that curve. And and China, even though they've had, you know, in some cases, two, two and a half months longer to prepare for this type of thing, they don't even understand the entire scope of this because we had a, we do not have a great idea the number of people who have had this and not shown symptoms or who have had it, had a bad flu or whatever over the last two or three months and then have recovered from it that do have the antibodies for this. We do not know how bad this is going to get simply because we don't know how good we've got it right now, as weird as that sounds. We don't know who's immune to this. We don't know how this is going to play out for the next couple of weeks and months. But uh, the president, Howard Cosell, uh, Marv Albert, Gus Johnson, Gus Johnson. I don't know about Gus Johnson. Somebody wrote Vin Scully as well. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. Let's not be ridiculous. It's 8 p.m. in Santa Clarita. <laughs> hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Oh, 9 p.m.? Yeah. 10? I mean, I don't know what you do. I'm not going to go anymore. I'm just not going to say All words. Right, coming up. Say words. Uh, it's an old-fashioned pirate standoff right now. Yes. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is holding a news conference right now. 
talking about the two cruise ships that are trying to dock in Florida. And Florida doesn't want anything to do with that. Nope. Not today. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Will you cry if I get this thing? If I have to do the show on my own, why well, would just I sorry mean, would for be, making it about me? No, no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but I could do some of it from home. I mean, I, I would. Well, if you died, I'd well, have I'm not to do saying I was going to die. On, oh, uh, just. <laughs> Layla's horrified with me right now. (laughs) He went from sick to dead. (laughs) Quickly, too. Uh, No, I wouldn't cry, I don't think. Did you see Don Lemon crying because Chris Cuomo tested positive last night? I'm more of a man than Don Lemon is. Wow. uh, Are you more of a man than uh, I think my testosterone is is higher than Don Lemon's. I would actually put money on that. Did you see uh, Eric Garcetti's? comment about the snitches and the yeah you know gonna... the old expression about snitches Good lord well in this case snitches get does anybody know how that ends anybody know how snitches get stitches stitches right yeah. that's the way it's supposed to Beat end them up no 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 not for eric garcetti rewards oh everybody gets he's a hug. been rewarding snitches his oh. whole life good lord it, uh, i put lotion on my skin and you can hug me now and i smell like baby powder hey shout yeah. out to jacob i'm really enjoying your music not that blake's music was garbage i just who? feel like it's a better mix who my music is better yeah how so it's a good mix. Are you playing oh, the same yeah. list and of music that he was No, I've oh, actually okay. put new music in. Yeah, Excellent. Good. yeah I, I can totally tell. Just don't okay. play Imagine Dragons. Please. Don't yeah. play anything. No, that is one thing I do not play just only said because that of Nick. Word. Yeah. <laughs> Snitches. Snitches get. Snitches get better music. Do not play any Imagine Dragons. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's talk about the pirates off the Florida coast, shall we? Yeah, a couple of ships out there. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida was just holding a news conference and didn't say much about the ships, just said they were still working on it. His concern there in Florida is offloading several hundred people into different areas of Florida would mean that they would basically monopolize all of the medical care and equipment that would be necessary because there are a bunch of people who are sick on a couple of these cruise ships. He did, though, in just a, just a few minutes ago, for the first time, uh, say that he's going to make an executive order or sign the executive order for a shelter-in-place order for the entire state of Florida. They already have 6,700 confirmed cases and 85 deaths in Florida, but up to this point, uh, it had not been a statewide shelter-in-place, so he is going to put that in place. Now, Holland America has a couple of ships, the Zandam and the Rotterdam. Set to arrive later this week, at least two people on board do need emergency attention. Four people have died on the Zandam. Therefore, they don't need any more emergency attention. Uh, Holland America says that they are trying to figure out how to get state, local, federal officials to approve a detailed docking plan that would require Holland America to handle all the medical issues without impacting the hospitals that are already under pressure. The president said he would talk to DeSantis about the ships. He said, they're dying on the ship. I'm going to do what's right, not only for us, but for humanity. Holland America president has 
written an opinion column in the South Florida Sun Sentinel to plead with officials and residents to help let the passengers disembark. The county sheriff called the situation a humanitarian crisis and asked the commissioners at the meeting not to decide based on a motion. Uh, County commissioners in Broward uh, came up with a meeting last night. They ended without a decision. Um, Holland America still trying to work out these details. And like I said, the governor did not announce a specific plan today to figure this out. Carnival says they have 40, sorry, uh, they had 40 ships at sea when they halted new cruises in mid-March. And the spokesman for Carnival, again, these two that we're talking in Florida are Holland America, but in Carnival they say they expect to have three ships at sea by the end of this week. Who's still on a cruise? Who's still on a cruise? <laughs> I know. Are these the same geniuses from University of Texas that chartered a plane last week to go to Mexico? <laughs> Why I think this- these are people that got on the cruise ships weeks ago. You know, three weeks ago or so. I understand the frustration of what we're doing. I understand the <laughs> frustration of what is this new reality. And you for want at least your life to go days. on normally, but you uh, cannot. I ran into yesterday. I've seen pictures of people gathering in neighborhoods and uh, where you set up your chairs over there. I set up my chairs over there. Yeah. And then you're, you know, you're the required distance apart. Maybe a light breeze helps dissipate whatever. A viral load you're spewing on each other. No That's more fine. viral loads. Tough. It's a reality that we have to deal with. Are you sticking to viral load? Last night, uh, taking the dog for a walk, and I stumble upon a cul-de-sac in my neighborhood where there were about – it's a big cul-de-sac. It's at end of a street. Uh, there were seven, I think seven or eight cars and pickup trucks that were there, and everybody was at the end of this cul-de-sac watching the sunset. And somebody in the pickup truck had taken a fi- little fire pit, you know, a little portable fire pit, stuck it down on the ground in the middle of a cul-de-sac, lit a fire. Everybody's having a good time. But everyone's staying in their vehicles. Someone's sitting up out of the sunroof of a little Volkswagen mm-hmm. Jetta. Somebody is sitting in the back of their pickup truck. Another guy sitting on the toolbox behind- in his pickup truck. Everybody's apart, but they were there doing the same thing. Like, that's the newest creation. And... Everybody there was a teenager. Like everybody there was probably in high school, which is weird to me because it's proof that there's still that genuine need for actual contact, not looking at your phone, not texting, not FaceTiming, Zooming, Instagram. There's still that desire for actual contact with someone, even if you have to do it six feet away. All right. Who would call the play-by-play of your sex tape? Uh, Morgan Freeman is a late ad here. Oh, uh, let's see. One of my friends, Charles, Charles Barkley. No, no, uh, no, no. Doris Burke. No, That doesn't do it. No, no. What about, uh, what about the guy who says, no, oh, that's pretty good. That Gary guy. and Shannon will continue. Let us know. John Facenda is still mine. I mean, it doesn't get better.
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The U.N. Secretary General saying that this is the most challenging crisis we have faced since World War II. Death toll in the United States, over 4,000 now. And we are outpacing other countries with nearly 200,000 confirmed infections. That's about 20% of the total globally. The president yesterday made these comments that were pretty sobering in terms of putting into perspective what the next couple of weeks look like. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks. And then hopefully... As the experts are predicting, as I think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard, you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel. But this is going to be a very painful, very, very painful two weeks. Now, this is clearly a different tone than what he has had in the weeks previous. And I think someone's finally getting to him in terms of these reports, the models that are out there, the indications are that we are not even in in California. We talked about that model that came out of University of Washington, April 27th. I mean, that's three weeks away, four weeks away, basically, before we see a peak. April's going to be really bad. It's going to be really bad. But, yeah, I think that was the most serious tone by everyone at that press conference that we have seen this far. Um, The one thing I would say about it is that it doesn't take into effect things like people have already had it. I mean, this is assuming that we're a... for lack of a better term, a, a virgin population, perhaps, that uh, there will be people who are exposed that never contracted. There will be people exposed who never show symptoms. There will be people exposed who have they don't contract it because they've already had it. Uh, and I think that those things are not taken into account as of yet, because as they need to and I would expect them to, they have to prepare for the worst and then hope for the very best. So these numbers of, you know, somewhere between 100,000 and 240,000 uh, are terrifying but they are something that we as a society can get through the surgeon general defended the white house's reluctance to have a national stay-at-home order saying that the governors get to make these decisions and florida had kind of held off uh ron DeSantis yet to do so that has changed this hour he has abandoned those partial measures that they had put in place and has issued a statewide stay at home order. I think this is a those tend to be good ideas done state by state like that, um, because as the president has been saying repeatedly, there are places where this is not a giant issue and that we may rely on those 10, 12 states that do not have stay at home orders. To be sort of a the the one ember that continues to burn economically, that we can then restart everything in they're, the next couple of weeks. They're projecting that we could have two hundred forty thousand deaths from this. Yep, uh, I heard it described as maybe top ten world history events that we're living through right now. That's pretty crazy. Does it feel like that? I think we're keeping it together pretty, pretty well. In New York, they say it's super eerie because the streets are so quiet and all you can hear are the sirens wailing. Did you see the image of the Empire State Building the other night? So Empire State Building recently went through this whole renovation where they could put all these different LED lights and then change the colors on them to honor whatever, the New York Rangers or the Jets or I don't know why anybody would want to honor the Jets, but 
the they did a moving light display that was supposed to be an ambulance light, like a flashing light. Oh yeah. Uh and it was eerie because there's nothing going on. There's nobody on the streets. There's and then you see this image of this cloud covered uh Empire State Building with this light. It was like a beacon. Yeah, of, that is please I'm, help us. I'm looking at the video right now and that's exactly what it looks mm-hmm. like. Uh, oh, and then quickly. It was supposed to honor the people that are fighting this right, thing, emergency responders. workers, but it. Scary. It looks terrifying. It looks like a, it's a, that's a, something you'd see in a movie. Yes, yes. Calling the superheroes, the Avengers, to yes. come back and save the planet. Guess what? They aren't real. Let's, let's, Sorry, slow my roll. Am I talking crazy now? Um, you mentioned no traffic in New York and Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. Ron DeSantis is now pushing, saw that, push, put touching your face, pushing to get Department of Transportation monies and workers out on those freeways in Florida now, saying there's no traffic. If we're going to continue to work, let's put that in place right now, get some of these freeways up and running so that we can get back to speed when we need to. Anyway, hey, it's Wednesday. It's time for What You Watch Wednesday. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. I uh, was a big fan of Sex in the City back in the day. And now I've discovered Insecure, which is like next. It's like Sex in the City, but now. Um which is pretty good, and I, there's like four seasons of it. <laughs> so you got <laughs> so I'm in the end of season one, and I'm excited. Like I, I've got a, a a show for a while. There was a point. I think it's Mo Kelly who's going through Game of Thrones. Oh, really? And and that's I was reluctant to do that. We my wife had watched the whole thing. I never got into it at all until yeah. that very last season. I guess it was that season eight. And this is an opportunity for people to go well. I mean, my reluctance to get into Game of Thrones was I don't want to sit through seven seasons just so I can pay off the eighth season. Yeah. And now I'm like, I got nothing but time on nothing my hands. It makes perfect sense to do that. I didn't. I'm not going to get into that. But um, uh, this Insecure is on HBO. HBO. Yeah. Um, we've been watching Homeland. It's supposed to be the final season, although I think the last three seasons that they've done have all said that they were going to be the last season. And pre-coronavirus, it was incredibly timely because they were talking about a peace deal with the Taliban at the time. And it was a bizarre in that it was mirroring headlines while they were going on. And then that gets swept off, just absolutely swept off the plate. And I find myself going to something like Homeland. They're doing most of the show in Pakistan and Afghanistan this year or this season. And I think, man, what a nice relief that is. Yeah, I know. Some war-torn country, you know, and wow, drone strikes on presidential helicopters and things. There's something about wanting to watch uh, these shows where life is normal. Yeah. And it's it's comforting. It is. It's weird to me that Contagion continues to be as popular as it is. Yeah, on I'm these not movie getting services. anywhere near that thing. Um, I was scrolling through movies on I have Spectrum for my cable package, and they said that Contagion is still one of the top movies that people continue to want to watch on television. Why would you want to be reminded of what's going on outside? 
I, I just watch a superhero movie. Watch a watch Frozen. Watch something that's not this. Yeah, you can't consume, consume, consume every day at this kind of rate if that's what you're doing. It's not healthy. Well, that we've said this before. There are physical manifestations of being stressed out by this stuff. Yeah, and if you're not careful, you'll you'll not just give yourself the coronavirus. You'll ruin your own health. Don't don't you don't have to do drink. that. What? Nothing. They say you don't have to drink every night. They're saying that alcohol consumption is up forty two percent in the Bay Area. I will say this about that. It's a silly study, but I i mean, I'm sure it's up substantially. I would say alcohol purchases are up because that's really the only way they can judge. I bought in the <laughs> last. Yeah, let's talk about your issue. Two weeks. I think I bought $120 worth of beer. Now, I haven't had $120 worth of beer. It's just that I bought it. Some of it was from Blake for his wedding that had to be called off. Yeah. And he had two cases of what's he going to do with it? He's not going to drink right, it. Right. I said, I'll take it off your hands. And I paid him 50 bucks for it. Uh, but then I also went out and bought, you know, found some local breweries. They were still cranking out beer and bought a bunch of their stuff and stuck it in the fridge. It's going to last me a while. It's either time for coffee or time for beer. And there's no in between. And depending on if you want to mix the two of them, just a nice like Rasputin stout. Mm. Just like a like a uh, Guinness. Uh, no. All right. Something stronger than that. We are going to <laughs> we are going to talk about our movie that we've picked. Yes. Well, we haven't picked it yet. We've got options though. We're sticking in the Kurt Russell genre. It's Kurt Russell, of. Goldie Hawn, Kate Hudson. Yeah, the family. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> I'll tell you what our romantic comedy selections are for tonight. Baby, please have mercy on me. Okay, a couple of follow-ups to get to before we get to tonight's gas quarantine theater. Uh, we just got word that, I mean, as wonderful of news as this would be if you're a Dodgers fan, you're going to have to wait for it to actually mean anything. But Spectrum finally announced a carriage agreement with the uh, to launch the L.A. Dodgers Spectrum Sportsnet L.A. on AT&T subscribers. So AT&T TV, DirecTV, UVerse TV, AT&T TV Now, customers throughout Southern California will be seeing Spectrum Sportsnet LA and the Dodgers games whenever those Well, it's come about around. time. Um I have a message from Jeff in terms of who would be calling the sex tape. Yep. Dave Niehaus, Hall of Famer, okay. was with the Angels for I think a year and then was the Seattle Mariners voice forever. Get out the rye bread and mustard grandma. It's a grand <laughs> salami time. Oh boy. Somebody said uh, Matt Money Smith, <laughs> knock on wood. Uh, let's see. We've got Chris Berman. And he uh, goes back, uh, back, back, back. He could go. Oh, I was uh, just wa- I was just watching uh, highlights of some of the Chargers latest acquisitions on, um, on Instagram. And now you can't hear play by play. No, the same. No, Be- well, I just I, there was one that I don't even know what, what we did, could say, I, but it was. I got it. Let me see here. Uh, it was Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman. Clearly, and let's just say it was a fumble. Jump by the Vikings. No, you missed that oh, part. Oh man! 
uh, Kevin Calabro, who used to be uh, uh, the Supersonics back when Seattle had a basketball team, <laughs> and he would say things like, good golly, Miss Molly. Thomas had a good line, though. Considering the current state of my sex life, play-by-play would have to be done by Helen Keller. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's good self-deprecation. So, um, all right. So tonight is our latest edition of Gas Quarantine Theater, where we all sit down and check out a movie. We may have seen these before, uh, but we get to do it together apart. And there are three selections that are up on Twitter right now. If you go to Twitter at Gary and Shannon, you get to vote on which one we watch together tonight. The first one is from 1987. Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn, and Overboard. She had power. What is this gelatinous muck? Style. Are you going to bring me my lemon or do I have to squeeze it from my hat? And amnesia. Seems a mystery woman was picked up by the Elk Cove Garbage Town shortly after midnight. Excuse me, miss. Can you tell me your name? Of course I know my names. (laughs) Annie! I love that movie. All three of these movies I've seen 97 times. Oh. It's, it's, it's fine, though. They're all warm blankets, weighted blankets. Um, from 2000, how about the movie Almost Famous? On the road with the band. Your mom called. Rock stars have kidnapped my son. So good. Spirits run high. There's acid in the beer that's in the red cups. How do you know when it's kicked in? I am a golden guy! <laughs> That's the flower, the kid. We need this story in four days. Your time has come. And there's more to write home about. Can you speak with William, please? Is this Marianne with the pot? Frances McDormand, I forgot, was in that movie. She is outstanding. Uh, And then the final third choice will be, where did it go? Oh, uh, this one from 2003. Back to the Kate Hudson. Uh, Kate Hudson, and in this case, uh, what's his (laughs) face? Matthew McConaughey. How to lose a guy in 10 days. I could start by dating a guy and then drive him away, doing everything girls do wrong in relationships. I can sell myself to any woman. I'd like to see you prove that. You would. Make a woman fall in love with you. You're on. So who's the lucky girl? Her. Her who? Her in the gray dress. Hi. Benjamin Barry. Andy Anderson. Oh, you are already falling in love with me. <laughs> okay. Fine. How about uh, Chick Hearn? He did the bunny hop and the pea patch. <laughs> <laughs> the jello's jiggling? The jello uh, is jiggling. How about... Uh, what's the name of the guy who calls the games for the, uh, for the White Sox? The total homer that plays for the White Sox. Get up! Get up! Get up! Um... Gosh, what's that guy's name? Chick Hearn. He got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> He's got him covered like the rug on your floor. Oh, is- they couldn't beat the Sisters Wait, of Mercy. You're ruining everything. My memories of these guys. <laughs> um, okay, anyway, those three movies uh, <laughs> Overboard from 1987. Not the new one, not the one with Anna Ferris, but we're talking about the old one with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. He has two chances, Slim and None, and Slim just left the building. <laughs> Almost famous. From the year 2000, and then How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days from 2003. <laughs> those are our three selections for tonight's Gas Quarantine Theater. Go on Twitter at Gary and Shannon, and you can, uh, and you can make your selection. <laughs> Uh-oh. I just got 
got to the mustard hot dog quotes. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Eric Garcetti, when we come back, hmm. put away the sex. To Gary and Shannon. That's You've Hawk- got to be breaking me. Hawk Harrelson, Chicago White Sox, yes, play by did. play. He gone, and this ball game is <laughs> over. <laughs> so good. I mean, I guess you want somebody who's going who's gonna to prop up the home team, don't you? Uh, I got another email from somebody who would call the, uh, the play-by-play of her sex tape, and Tom says, uh, no, I'm sorry, Aaron. Aaron writes, I can't believe nobody hasn't recommended, I can't believe nobody's recommended him yet, but I would love for... Mark Thompson to do the play-by-play. Mark Thompson. You know what? We could probably too make that happen. Too close to home. I know, but that's too close to home. I'll send him a text. See if we can make that happen. See how much he charges for a uh, for a three-minute... Uh, I'm just... That's not nice. Um, we are standing by waiting for updates, not just from the governor. Uh, that will probably happen about 12 o'clock today, the latest uh, coronavirus update from the state. Uh, but also Los Angeles County is expected to move their update to about 1 o'clock today. So uh, we will keep an eye on that. Vom Foss in Claremont is going to be our biggest uh, or our uh, latest small business shout-out. We're going to talk to them coming up at 1230 today. Uh, Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, is going to check in with us at the bottom of this hour. But we got to we got to give Eric Garcetti his due. He is really cracking down and sounding tough on people, that's for sure. Um He has said that the important things to remember about the businesses and the stay-at-home orders, the safer-at-home orders, is that there's a reason they're in place. If any non-essential businesses continue to operate in violation of the stay-at-home order, we're going to act to enforce the safer-at-home order and ensure their compliance. Um, It's actually out of line with what Governor Newsom had suggested, where he says social pressure is probably the better way to go, but... Eric Garcetti said, this is the way we're going to have to do this from now on. You know the old expression about snitches. Well, in this case, snitches get... You know what they get? Stitches. Somebody even suggested that they say, he says, uh, riches, because then it at, last, at least rhymes. Snitches yeah, get right, riches. Right. But you know the old expression about snitches. Well, in this case, snitches get rewards. Oh, and did we you see how uh, firm... For turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. Did you see how firm he was as he hit that oh, podium? I can, I can hear it. It's, uh, you know the old expression about snitches. Not very well, firm. In this case, snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. His well-lotioned hands uh, banging onto that, uh, onto that rostrum there. Um, the Department of Building and Safety has been developing these guidelines specifically for construction sites to ensure the safety of employees, uh, employers, workers in the community. That includes having all construction sites submit a comprehensive COVID-19 exposure plan that would include protocols for symptom checking, physical distancing, hygiene practices, and decontamination procedures. And the city will be sending 
uh, inspectors to active construction sites every day to make sure that they're complying with these new guidelines. Um, And as of yesterday, Garcetti said business ambassadors had visited 540 businesses that were not complying with the Safer at Home order. Of those, 144 also were visited by the LAPD to make sure that they were complying. Four businesses have been referred to the city attorney's office for misdemeanor filings, if you can believe that. So um, the he announced that the city saw an 18 percent increase in coronavirus cases. The the city itself and the county saw a 23 percent decrease in available hospital beds over the last two days. I just realized who would do the play by play of Garcetti's sex tape. Oh, Hold on. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> what? That's so bad. I know. I'm sorry. Why do you make fun of him? I don't. I don't want to make fun of him. I like Eric Garcetti. He's but, a nice guy. When but, I covered City Hall, he was very. He wasn't this douchey. He was like a normal person. He was a cool guy. He was somebody that you'd be friends with, even if you disagreed with him politically or whatever. I don't know what this is. This is like an act where he thinks he has to cater to like the soft nature of L.A. or something. I don't know what it is. We don't need hugs. But it's weak stream. We weak don't stream. need hugs. We need we need security. We right. need we need. Uh, I don't want to hear I love you and I need you. All right. I want to hear Chuck <laughs> Connors taking the city by the reins. I don't love you and I don't need you. Right. But I will protect you. That's right. That's what we need. Um, he is not the guy that's doing that. At least he's not saying that. Um, when we come back, a little bit more about what's going on locally, including uh, what the governor has been saying about punishing people who refuse to stay home. His take on it is a little bit different. So we'll hear from that. Also, tomorrow, iHeartRadio LA is joining forces with the Chargers and with CBS KCAL to help raise funds for LAUSD students and their families during this crisis. They're going to do a day-long fundraiser on all the CBS, KCAL, CBS, and LA digital platforms uh, from 6 in the morning through 11 o'clock at night, uh, raising money, supplies, awareness in one long fundraiser for the L.A. students most in need. So uh, LAUSD is feeding about 500,000 people a day at a grab-and-go location across L.A. County. So you're going to be able to help feed them. The meals feed not only the students but their families at eight emergency homeless shelters that popped up. Also a need for normal school supplies, paper, pencils, et cetera, to help students learn at home. Some students are also need uh, of some at-home Internet connections to make sure that they can stay connected with their teachers and wrap up this school year, Chromebooks and other computers to keep connected to online uh, learning tools. So for information about tomorrow's telethon and fundraiser, you can go to KFIAM640.com slash need for all the information, and we'll tell you tomorrow as well the different ways that you can donate. Hey, a couple things. Number one, it looks like L.A. County is going to be giving us the update at 1 o'clock today. Also, at 11.30 in about, oh, you know, 20 minutes or so, the city of Torrance is going to conduct a uh, test of its community alert sirens. There's going to be a series of chimes followed by a siren test tone. It is only a test, but that's going to be unnerving. For people. Okay. What's the worst that could happen? 
Yeah, that's not going to go well. All right. um, (laughs) Coming up next, it looks like people are drinking a lot more with this shelter in place thing. (laughs) Of course they are. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We will bring you the updates as they come in. Dow is down 800 points, nearly 4% trading. Uh, We're not asking you to ignore things, but if you do want to take your mind off of some of it, we have uh, three movies up on Twitter right now that you can choose from for tonight's Gas Quarantine Theater. Overboard from 1987. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days from 2003 and Almost Famous in the year 2000. Go to uh, Twitter, at Gary and Shannon. You can vote on which movie we will all watch tonight at 8 o'clock. The connection between Almost Famous and Overboard? Goldie Hawn, Goldie Hawn and, and Kate, Kate Hudson. Hudson. And, and we Kate did Hudson two... is also in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That's yep. right. And we did two Kurt Russell movies uh, last week. I think we've, week. we've unintentionally found those people who make us feel better. Right, and I it's mean, that family. Tom Hanks probably would have been that guy, but he let himself get the coronavirus. <laughs> right, he's <laughs> tainted. Yeah, he's, I mean, it's just, at least no, right now, no I don't longer, think he's the guy we look to to be our hero. No, he's no more America's dad. Kurt Russell, though, as healthy got, as a horse, still got something. Snake Plissken. Yeah, he's escaping coronavirus. Uh, son of Flubber. Was he son? Of- yes. No. No. Uh, Herbie. He was um, Herbie. The, uh, no, the teenager or the computer wore tennis shoes. Was that was that it or something like something that. like that? There Steve Gregory has joined us. A computer that wore tennis shoes. It's an old Disney movie. It's an old Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, now is when she goes. Well, you guys are old. Well, no, no, no. We I should, didn't I, say that. Not, That's exactly what we you should thought. have said. Old Disney movie, which because you said it was an early Disney movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Good point. One of Disney's original. One is his first movies. Herbie the Love Bug was still my favorite. Buddy Hackett. 1969, the computer wore tennis shoes. Yes. Kurt Russell. Yep. Look at that. Good stuff. He was a contract player for Disney, wasn't he? He had to be. No, yeah, he was, he he did, was, he he was just a con- he was just a regular day actor. Yeah. Yeah. In the 60s and 70s, that's about yeah. all he did. Yeah. Uh, so, Steve, what's going on? Hey, what's buddy? going on locally with all of all? Yeah, this? so we come into today, our, the, the update's been moved back up to 1 o'clock mm-hmm. this afternoon with the uh, L.A. County Health team, and they're back down to three speakers. So um, <clears throat> yesterday was interesting because we learned that 10 L.A. County firefighters had tested positive. And there had been a bit of a controversy with that number because, you know, a week or so ago I had asked on the call why that agency was the only agency that didn't reveal its numbers. And because Daryl Osby, the chief, had only said they had some positive tests mm. at the time, didn't he? No. At he the didn't time get... he, well, he said that they were – yes, he said that they were testing people, but they weren't – he wasn't permitted to talk about it, and it for privacy reasons. Right. And when I got on the call, I said, well, that's not a HIPAA situation. And, you know, and he said, well, this is what I was instructed to say. So anyway, I was digging in that a little bit yesterday and to find out where the firefighters were, uh, how they became positive, where they contracted it and things like that. So I ended up in pretty uh, a pretty interesting exchange with LA County firefighters yesterday offline about all of this. And we can get into that later. But 
Uh, we come into today's numbers with 54 deaths as of yesterday morning. Um, and the total case is up to 3,011. And these again, this is in line with what Dr. Barbara Ferrer says was going to happen, and that was that numbers were going to continue to climb and spike at times as tests come back. Because remember, testing right now averaging five to six days. So if you're testing today, we're not going to know about you for another possibly another week. So um, that's why sometimes you see these jumps and then they plateau and then jumps. So that's what's going to happen. And she reiterated yesterday that she is on board with the modeling out of University of Washington. And I didn't get to hear your segment yesterday when I left, but I'm talking about the the peaking, you know, toward the end of the month. Yeah, that, by the way, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation is doing is really sort of the go to in terms of the modeling that we've seen so far. It was used in yesterday's White House press briefing. We've talked about it a handful of times. And my understanding is that they're updating this on a regular basis. They're updating this with the new information that right. comes in every single so, day. So it's going to – there's going to be a, a – I don't want to keep saying curve because that's being used for other things, but it's there. it will be a sliding scale. Yeah. Sliding scale. I mean the peak, for example, yesterday was would, would have been April 27th in their model that came in California. And now what they've done is they've pushed it to April 29th, which it is not a gigantic change and, in fact, maybe a good thing because the the – farther out we can push the peak is the whole point of flattening the curve right. to make sure that we do have the medical resources that are available. It gives gives medical professionals some breathing room, right. as it were. So, Well, the Department of Homeland Security just came out and said that the protective gear in the national stockpile is nearly depleted. Yeah. I, I have a I have kind of a, a fun, fun story locally to tell you guys about. Okay. Out of Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills police have found all those rolls of toilet paper you're not seeing on your grocery store shelves. All of them? They found 192 rolls in the back of a stolen SUV. <laughs> they also found a gun inside the vehicle. Oh, to, well. pr- to protect the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. That right there is very symbolic. Isn't the it? The whole thing is symbolic. I right know. There. The whole thing. Beverly Hills, toilet paper, stolen Get SUV, gun. roll. Um, wow isn't that good you should dig into that Uh, get more get us more details i should that sounds do some investigative journalism right there is another peabody right there um you have a peabody no oh no 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 (laughs) you're that smart uh your stories have that much meaning no Um, i know that you're a well-decorated reporter no 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 um did you hear yesterday? Did you listen to the mayor's press conference at all? Yes, unfortunately. Where the where the snitches get rewards? Oh. Yeah, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> but did you remember? Do you remember me? Almost two weeks ago, when I asked him when he started putting the safer at home thing in place, I said, "So how are you going to enforce this? Are people supposed to turn others in?" And he goes, "No, I don't want a city of tattletales." Right. And I, told, I asked him the question last night. I said, well, Mayor, almost two weeks ago you told me you didn't want a city of tattletales. Now you're telling people snitches get rewards. And he said to you, Steve, I need you now. And I, I love you, and I need you I now. love you for that. Yes. And I need you now. Now. <laughs> and then then I heard click. And then, hello? Hello? <laughs> Next caller, please, is Robert Kovacek. Um, you're terrible. So, that, I mean – yeah, I, I, who doesn't is, know Robert Kovacic? I mean, his, also. the 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 mayor's suggestion is different than what even the governor was saying yesterday. Governor Newsom had said 
uh, that he prefers people uh, that the stay-at-home orders be enforced through persuasion, not punishment. Now, he was talking specifically about people going out in public as right. opposed to businesses that are open when they're not supposed to be. Well, I heard a lady going off on somebody the other day at, this, at my favorite 7-Eleven over here. I was walking in, and these two ladies were walking out screaming at each other because – and then I, I, I didn't figure it out. They went to separate vehicles. And then when I went inside, I asked the guy, I said, what happened? He says, well, the lady was in the cooler looking for something. And the other lady came up and reached in and grabbed something from the cooler. Too. She says, you got to get back six feet. She goes, don't tell me what to do. And it got into that kind of an escalation. So there are some people out there that don't want to be told, step back. And so I guess we're going to have a lot of that, I think. I think there's been a lot of that going on. But I think we're going to have even more of that because – Remember, what was it? Social pressure. I think mm-hmm. that was the term that was given by, was that? Gavin. Gavin, yeah, it yeah. was Gavin Newsom that said social He'd pressure. He'd rather have social pressure than have, uh, you know, the military and the National Guard in the streets. But again, and it's, when I asked the mayor yesterday, I said, is this, is this sort of uh, a picture of what's to come? Because I said, now you're saying snitches get rewards. And I know it was tongue-in-cheek. He said, well, oh, well Steve, that was kind of tongue-in-cheek. I said, well, yeah, but you still made the statement. And you also said, and you could hear my news stories today, his audio, it says, you know, it's uh, keep turning people in, basically. Keep keep calling the number. Keep well, turning people in. I mean, his point is that there were five, 540 businesses over the last couple of days that had not complied with this order. 540. Right. And Seems a, like a lot. And 144 had been contacted by LAPD. Right. And then uh, that distilled down to four being turned over to the DA. I don't know what that takes. I mean, I don't know what the level of. I, I don't either, unless unless that was a second or third warning or something. I don't know, but uh, it, it. I think, and I remember you and I. We all talked about this from the very beginning. Gavin or Eric or the president. Well, I don't know about the president. Gavin or Eric. They do not want to be that politician that says someday, okay. I've tried to give you guys a chance to do it on your own, but uh, it's effective today. AR-15s and army trucks and. This is how it's going to go. So, I mean, I mean, they don't want to be the ones that do that. But if it keeps going at this pace, again, traffic packed when I came in, mm-hmm. I was just like, what the it, it has been steadily getting, increasing. It has and been. it's warmer outside. And yeah. I, today I went outside and it was just like people are out walking around, talking and yeah. hammering. I'm like, you guys, they don't get it. They All right. Get it. Gary and Shannon will continue. Steve Gregory, thank you for the update. Appreciate it. So join me in this bed. I'm in. Push up on me and sweat. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Joe Buck asking people to stop sending him requests for him to play-by-play, call the play-by-play of their sex tape. So it opened up the question of, you wouldn't want Joe Buck, right? I mean, we can all agree on that, especially 49er fans. He'd especially if, find especially a way if to you throw have a shade on whatever uh, you were yeah, doing. Especially if you have a 49er <laughs> tattoo. I don't know why he'd want her. Holy crap, now that she's taking her clothes off, Good I Lord. she's covered in hideous ink. Get out. Run the other way. <laughs> uh Ted said Huel Hauser should do No, Ted. Ted no. <laughs> Ted, absolutely not. That would be the only thing worse than that would have been uh, Eric Garcetti doing your play by play. Oh, man. Uh, Clint said uh, Mike Lang, a Pittsburgh Penguins announcer, would have done a great job. But I found this cut from uh, from Mike Lang. Get in the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game is ready to roll. Yes. 
<laughs> I love that. Uh, all right. We still have uh, serious things we'll be talking about later. We expect an update from Gavin Newsom at the top of the hour. And we'll carry at least the important parts of that for you. Uh, Los Angeles County is expected to give their coronavirus update at 1 o'clock today. Uh, small business shout-out will come up next hour as well. So all of that stuff still coming up on this Wednesday, April. Did I tell you what I did for April Fool's Day? You did tell me. I uh, don't think my son is listening, but he's got stickers on the back of his pickup truck. Like that are particularly, hardcore boy stickers. Yeah, they're boy stickers. Uh, you know, ride old motorcycles, stuff right. like that. Chuck Connor stuff. Chuck Connor, they'll throw a coconut at your head. Yeah. That kind of thing. I don't wear Toms. Something along those lines. I heard Toms gives you coronavirus. Very likely. Um, my wife, a couple of weeks ago, got a butterfly decal. And it's about as big as the like as big as your hand. It's a just a butterfly decal. It's got a couple of rhinestones in it. And she put it on the I put Ford F three fifty. No, no, I, this is, is the daily that he, that he oh, has, okay. not the big one, because uh, that one doesn't have any stickers on it right now. Yeah. But his his little truck that he drives to work every day has got now wow, it's got a butterfly, like, the middle finger, and it's got a don't die and ride old motorcycles, and it's got a butterfly on the back window. <laughs> That's so great. I love families that prank each other. Uh, Justin Warsham joins us. We wanted to check in with Justin. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. I want to do sex tapes as fuel houser for people. What's your drink <laughs> count right now? <laughs> um, well, can I first ask what would be considered a healthy number? Like there, not healthy as in like, oh, good for your liver. I mean, two, healthy as in I you don't two, have a problem. It's nearly noon. Uh, Teetering on unhealthy. I think we're then close. I think I may need a maybe need a talk. I can zoom in with a, have a meeting. Maybe that's a thing I should be doing. <laughs> There's a lot of. It, you know what's funny is when you have a drinking problem like me, evidently that's always a good sign. I don't. Maybe you would know this, Shannon. Uh, you're the closest person I know who does this. <laughs> uh, when people don't know what to get you as a gift, so they just buy you booze. Like that's a sign about your brand, right? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the message but you put out this there. This is like, about you, Justin. It's not a about... lot of Prosecco. <laughs> this is about you, though. Uh, how's it going with the kids? <laughs> it's, uh, it's getting better, I guess. Like, I keep, I'm trying to find a positive spin because now, starting this week, uh, even though my kids don't start school officially until April 6th, so we're in the Burbank school system, so this week all the teachers are getting trained on how to do virtual classroom stuff. And some of the teachers are really awesome, and they're giving the kids stuff to do. We've come up with a schedule, but we're not like the the pretty fun rainbow kitten parent who's like doing arts and crafts and has a routine. Like it's very much more military in well, my house. It's uh, an hour and a half on 30 minutes off. Well, That's I would also I say this, Justin, and you, you've said this multiple times when we've talked about parenting, you know, don't compare yourselves to these Instagram freaks who think that, you know, everything has to be a puzzle and end up with a craft with calligraphy at the end of it. That <laughs> lasted about two days. Yeah, it really I, did. Those boards, I mean, those boards where every parent was like laying out each activity yeah, like hour by hour. Gone. You know, they are drinking <laughs> wine by 930, those parents. It's, it's not easy. I'm not going to tell you. Like, it's funny because I found myself lecturing my kids yesterday morning because this was like, or day before yesterday, it was the day one of the school. And I'm not kidding. This is what I said in a not-so-hushed tone in my small 1,100-square-foot house in Burbank. I said, hey, spring break was last week. Now it's time to get back to work, okay? 
So this, I told you, the Band-Aid was coming off, the Band-Aid's off. So <laughs> quit your sibling. Let's just get some corn math going. You get some reading and writing going. It's not hard, guys. If you just buckle down and do it, you're going to get it done faster than if you were in school for six hours, okay? Man, how does your wife respond to you yelling at her like that? Are you guys still speaking? <laughs> My wife and I, you know what's funny? I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't know if she'd be happy about me sharing this, but uh, I'm, as far as the marriage goes, I'm a big fan of this quarantine life. I want it to never end. She's, when, you, when she has less people to see, suddenly I am infinitely more attractive than what we already know I am. I, I don't know. She's getting more amorous is my point. So who yeah. would call your play-by-play? <laughs> trust me. I'm with the, I think you said his name was Todd. I love Jewel Hauser. I think he would be so, he'd be so supportive. It's an so avocado-eating dog. Hey! <laughs> that's the Look biggest tree doing. on the west coast of these United States. Well, I'll Look at what he's be. doing. With his foot. That takes a lot of flexibility. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, looks like she's bringing her own California gold. We're going to have to write this day down as the day when we officially went off the tracks. Huel <laughs> <laughs> Hauser doing play-by-play of Justin having sex. Oh, hey, Justin, when we come back... <laughs> Uh-huh. Bruno Serrato from the White House restaurant in Anaheim doing play-by-play of your sex tape. Yes. Gary and Shannon. Okay, got can... it. All right. <laughs> Gary oh, Dr. Now. Can we do Dr. Now, too? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Yes. Now? I don't think I know Dr. Now. You don't know, know Dr. Oh, now? man. Dr. We'll now from My 600-pound life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do both of them. We should. Be. Gary and Shannon. <laughs> Kicked off <there. laughs> I'm super excited for this. <laughs> Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Big news out of Florida today. The governor there, Ron DeSantis, finally ordered a uh, shelter-in-place order for the entire state with an executive order. There had been a lot of pressure on him from uh, federal representatives. Uh, Members of Congress had been calling on the governor to do so, considering they have uh, over 6,700 confirmed coronavirus cases there, 85 deaths so far. And a population that would be extremely vulnerable in uh, the the older population that lives throughout Florida. New York has rushed to mobilize an army of medical volunteers. The statewide death toll doubled in the past three days to more than 1,900. The president yesterday holding a more somber press conference saying it's going to be a hell of a bad two weeks. It could get to 240,000 deaths in the U.S. according to their projections. Uh, we have been uh, trying to take a little lighthearted approach at uh, a lot of what's been going on. And there was, a, for some reason, Joe Buck was trending on Twitter today. And I guess Joe Buck volunteered that people had been sending him sex tapes and asking them to do the play-by-play for them. Which, if people were sending those to me, I would not then volunteer that yeah, publicly. Yeah, but he probably needs attention. I suppose like he's probably... Because he's not doing anything. Exactly. Um. Well, so we were asking people what they would do or who they would want to to have uh, do the play-by-play for their sex tape. John Madden was a suggestion. Yeah. Of course, Joe Montana. Watch this face. He holds these two inside linebackers mm. so the tight end can get by him and wide open. 
That's a big part of the 49er offense. Yeah. That's, that's old John Madden, too. That's yeah. really old. Um, but we also uh, have uh, brought on Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, that joins us on a pretty regular basis, who's uh, getting this quarantine thing down with his couple of kids and a, and a wife. Um what do you think? Uh, what do you think Bruno Serrato would sound like while he was uh, was doing your, you know, the Mister and Mrs. Worsham adventures? <laughs> yeah, what would that sound like? Uh, hello and welcome to uh, the sex tape of uh, two people who are very much in love because they met in high school, uh, but it is not very adventurous. Uh, you see, here there is some. Uh, Nice uh, needing of each other. Okay, no. Uh, Wait, well, hold on a second. <laughs> Bruno, let me ask you a question. <laughs> pulling that game okay. over. Is that needing N-E-E or a K-E, K-N-E-A-D? I think you meant K-N. Needing. needing. Like a bread, you, like a loaf work, of bread. You work the air into the dough is what you do. You work the air with your knee. You work the air into the dough, and that's how you uh, you make it fluffy. Mm. Uh, if you want. Hey, uh, what, would, what would uh, Christopher Walken sound like? <laughs> Oh, well, when making love, it's important that you make very, very deep eye contact. (laughs) You want them to feel you and your soul connecting to each other. I went Italian, Christopher Walken. I did. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> went back, went back. Bruno and Christopher Walken blended. <laughs> strange muscle memory you got there. Uh, I want to know who Dr. Now is. Can I know who Dr. Now is? Do you know who Dr. Do you, do you, he's the doctor from uh, Dr. Nowazardan from the My 600-Pound Life. Yeah, he helps these people oh. lose, you know, 400 pounds. And he is... Uh, He's got a specific accent, and most of the episodes are spent with him kind of chastising the people for continuing to eat McDonald's four times a day right. when they're in the when hospital. he had told them all they can eat is uh, steamed chicken and broccoli, Yeah, basically. Oh, what a horrible life. <laughs> Hello, Shannon. How are you feeling today? You're looking good for a month. You're having 500-pound extra weight on you, but I think... <laughs> How's he going to, I mean... What? Well, doesn't Dr. Now have some legitimate concerns about... Physical exertion? Yeah. 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 Um, Hmm. I think it's better for you to to have the physical affection with uh, yourself. And for to be safe, not to crush anybody under the weight of your body. And then you have a broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. We are ruining everybody's everybody's sex life. I just want to say, as a a, a big fan of your show and you uh, people, is that you guys have been doing, really honestly, sincerely, a bang up job with, you know, covering everything, making sure everybody's informed, finding things like the gas quarantine theater to at least give a little bit of a brain break. So I don't think you should beat yourselves up at all if you are, because it's awesome. So say you got to get loopy a little bit and then jump right back into it, because I'm sure there's going to be a press conference in five minutes where we're going to talk about how cases are rising and it's just getting bad all around. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) 
I think Brent, Sorry, did I ruin it? I think you ruined a lot of things for us. <laughs> Listen, uh, it's okay. Uh, you just keep a smile on your face, and everything will be okay. Okay, you love what you do, and you eat the pasta. <laughs> Justin, thank you. Appreciate it. Love you, man. Sorry, guys. I love you both. Justin Warsham, <laughs> say, say hi to your family and stuff. And uh, I'm never going to talk to them. We're, we see each other too much. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, in the next couple of days, you could probably uh, check back in with them. All right. Uh, we are keeping an eye on what's going to come out of Sacramento, if anything. We know that Governor Newsom does have an interview scheduled at 1 o'clock with CNN. Uh, also at 1 o'clock is when we expect to see the Los Angeles County update in terms of What's going on with coronavirus? We'll bring you all the latest information when we come back. To Gary and Shannon. And let's now go to the governor for the latest on the coronavirus pandemic. ICU patients. That 774 may be deceiving. Many of you may think, well, that sounds relatively modest to what's happening in other parts of this country. And that may be true. But it's incredibly important to impress upon you that that number represents roughly a quadrupling compared to where we were just six days ago. The number of people hospitalized in the state of California, the number 1,855, represents roughly a tripling of where we were just six days ago. It gives you a sense of the nature of the spread and the nature of the attack of this virus and the nature of our focus as it relates to preparing for this surge. I'll remind you that we're preparing for a two-thirds increase in our hospital bed capacity in this state. Uh, We are preparing to meet that, not just in terms of the physical needs within that system, but also making sure we have the appropriate protective gear, the ventilators, uh, and, of course, personnel, people. I'll talk more about that in a moment. So today I want to go forward uh, with some more specifics about our modeling, about what those numbers that I've led with actually mean and mean to you and mean to the state of California. I'll ask Dr. Galley here in a moment uh, to provide an analysis of our current modeling, recognizing that our modeling is dynamic uh, and our modeling is unique to the state of California, uh, not necessarily trending with other parts of the country. Uh, we'll then talk about the issues of schools. As a parent, uh, that's top of my agenda and top of mind, uh, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Superintendent of Public Education, Tony Thurman, and by Linda Darling Hammond, the president of the state school board. We'll also update uh, all of you on some guidance we have around uh, facial coverings, uh, and then we will happily, of course, answer all questions you may have. But let me begin uh, with Dr. Galley and ask him to come up and share with you two slides that give you an overview uh, of the way we are conducting our planning exercises and how we are applying our prioritization as it relates to accessing resources uh, and give you a sense of where we think we're going over the course of the next number of weeks uh, and then well into May and potentially June and July. Dr. Galley. Thank you, Governor. Uh, Let me begin by reminding everybody what we're up against. We have a brand new virus to the globe. We've been watching it and tracking it over weeks and months now. And we know that we don't have treatment. We don't have treatment at scale. We don't have a vaccine. So the most important thing we can do is stay home and save lives. We've been talking for weeks about models We've been talking about flattening the curve, and today I'm going to talk you through how California has been looking at it. I want to remind you that nearly three weeks ago, 
we began issuing guidance, first around limiting the number of people in mass gatherings, then a few days later, issuing guidance to protect our vulnerable population, seniors, those people who are homeless, those people with underlying conditions, and then a few days later, limiting mass gatherings even further as an indication that we were methodically and thoughtfully implementing physical distancing across the state. We then, on March 19th, issued the stay-at-home efforts across the state, augmenting what lots of local partners did as well. And it was all based on models and considerations that we've been tracking and thinking about since we learned about COVID-19. We welcomed Americans home on those repatriation flights. We took people in off cruise ships, and we prepared as a state for what we're facing today. So as the governor said, I'm going to walk you through two slides that demonstrate a bit of what we were up against if we did nothing, and then what we hope to be doing in terms of flattening that curve and changing the history of California as it relates to COVID-19. So on that first stay-home effort statewide, we talked about the potential of millions of Californians being infected and the need for an extraordinary number of hospital beds. This black line here indicates our surge capacity. If you added that to our existing capacity in hospitals, we would just be above this 100,000 line. But if you see unmitigated, we would need over 700,000 hospital beds at peak. That's an extraordinary number that no perfect surge plan could ever deliver. So we began immediately talking about how do we flatten this curve? This is the curve that we were worried about. If we didn't do what the governor directed us to do early, which was consider all of the things to flatten it. Again, here is the same blue line if we would have done nothing. And you see it rapidly increases, even off the chart. This line here is where we project to be with our phase one surge plan, and if you add it to existing beds, we know that this baseline starts at about 75,000. This line represents 125,000 well, available uh, beds no, does it? across the state uh, of California. Looking at graphs on the radio is a little difficult. Increase, yeah, exactly Dr. Galley, the one who's speaking right now in Sacramento, is basically just pointing out those, uh, those curve, the projections in terms of if we do not have any intervention at all that we would see in California, specifically over 700,000 hospitalizations at, at a point, whatever point that is in the next few weeks. Uh, and then he's pointing to new lines on that same graph, which show that there have been uh, significant differences in the, you know, uh, being able to, to flatten all of that curve, lessen the impact on ICU beds specifically, but hospitals in general. So, all of that is good. The problem is that he's just doing it on a, a I mean, he's doing it on a graph, and that's not going to work on the radio. So if the governor comes back up, we'll, we'll jump back into that. But, Jacob, if you're ready, I have a question. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, this pandemic has now claimed the lives of more than 45,000 people around the world. Here in the United States, it's about 4,500. 
Uh, locally, Orange County just put out numbers that the number of cases jumped by 107 today with three new additional deaths reported. So in Orange County, there are now 606 total cases with 10 dead. Uh, we will see, I assume, a million by by the time we start tomorrow. It seems like the yeah. million over the course of the world um, is a, almost a guarantee. Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, today issued a stay-at-home order for the entire state as they try to figure out what to do with the coronavirus outbreak. It will go into effect tomorrow night at, or I should, it's not clear, Thursday at midnight. I don't know if that means Thursday morning at midnight, Thursday night at midnight, not very clear. But it's going to last for at least 30 days. Uh, I'd been previously criticized because at this point he had not yet put a statewide social distancing, even a guideline out necessarily. So now... You know, having seen the beaches full of people a couple of weeks ago, that's when he started receiving all the criticism. But again, Florida will have a stay at home order for at least 30 days. Iraq and Iran in the news. The president tweeting today that Iran and its proxies are planning a sneak attack on U.S. troops and or assets in Iraq. President warning that if such an attack were to be carried out, Iran would pay a heavy price indeed. It's something you don't need right now. It's what we don't need. Um, even the Taliban is talking about this. Uh, Afghanistan's warring parties have been have told to heed the U.N. Secretary's General's call for an immediate ceasefire to respond to what's been going on around the world when it comes to coronavirus. So make sure that people can deliver humanitarian aid through the whole country. A Taliban spokesman told the Associated Press, if, God forbid, the outbreak happens in an area where we control the situation, then we will stop fighting in that area. Well, thank you for that. Thank Appreciate that. That's nice. Did you hear about what the UC system is doing? Uh, uh, is this about lowering the – would tell me. Yeah, I think University it, of California easing its admission requirements. University system is suspending its use of SAT scores and letter grade requirements for courses completed during this school year. Say the moves are aimed at uh, – Easing anxiety among students worried about getting into college. If I'm I, not, if I'm not mistaken, senior year doesn't really count for anything, does it? Well, it can. It can count against you. It can you. count against you. Not anymore. Um, but it, I mean, this this came at a time late in the year where a lot of the college applicate well, college applications would be in. Right. You are now getting um, app, uh, acceptances or rejections from your colleges. And I know that some of them have pushed back the date by which you have to declare where you're going to go. So do you need help? Do you want like a – you want to – got it. I don't know. You scratch your face on the corner of the printer there. <laughs> you were trying it. to scratch with, the, with your elbow. I used my shoulder. Okay. I suppose. Hey, uh, Dodgers news. This is good. This is good except we got to wait for the baseball season. That blackout is over. <laughs> Spectrum announced today it's reached an agreement to carry Sportsnet LA on AT&T video platforms, including DirecTV, AT&T TV, UVerse TV, and AT&T Now in Southern California. Las Vegas, Hawaii beginning immediately. Hey, the plans for Major League Baseball, at least in their offices in New York, they've circled the date of when they would love to have a season start. And I think what they would do is you'd have to start planning now and hope that that happens. July 4th, how how great would that be? That would Opening be. Opening day on oh, July. Oh, I would just love it. But again, that's just a, a still hopeful at this point. Andrew um, <laughs> Cuomo's former girlfriend, Sandra Lee, 
is going after body shamers, saying, stop speculating about his nipples. Knock it off. Listen, Andrew Cuomo's nipples are the distraction American needs. No, it, they are not. If, if we spent seven hours watching Tiger King, we can spend seven minutes talking about are his nipples pierced, yes or no. Which we did yesterday. That was really the beginning. We we did, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> okay. What? What's wrong? I don't know. You look defeated today. I am not defeated. Okay. Uh, I need you to pull yourself up from your bootstraps. Is that what you say? And Chuck Connors this thing? Yeah. And it's Tarzan Wednesday, Gotta by the way. Gotta get some Tarzan up in this. And... Uh, do you know, you ever think about the strength of Tarzan? Oh, it's unmatched. You just, nobody really can wrap their head around the it. The strength of Tarzan, no man can say. Uh, the law of the Deep land. Deep in the jungle, yes. Tarzan continues to enforce his law. The law of right. Law of light. We're going to go back to uh, Sacramento. See if we could dip back in here, Jacob, and see what the governor is saying now. Superintendent of Public Education uh, here on the phone. In in a moment, uh, I'll turn it over to him. Uh, But with the expectation now that the school schools will not reopen, but classes are in, uh, we also recognize our responsibility uh, to make sure uh, that we're not only educating our kids, but we're feeding our kids. And before I turn it over, I just want to make two quick announcements along those lines. Uh, We were very pleased to get a waiver from the federal government that will allow us to substantially increase access uh, to food distribution uh, throughout our public education system in the state. We've made great progress, but it's been inhibited uh, by the lack of uh, access to this waiver. We finally got that waiver, and that will allow us to more substantially provide points of access for grab-and-go meals and other meals uh, throughout our system. Number two, I was very pleased today with the great work of Tony Thurman, Ben Cheetah, my office, and others. We were able to advance a management labor agreement. Uh, This was a stubborn issue that manifested itself very differently in the 1,000-plus school districts throughout the state of California. Remember, this is the largest school system in the United States, America. Uh, We worked with management of all stripes and labor of all stripes to get a comprehensive agreement on protocols and procedures and processes to work through any differences that we may have in preparation and expectation to meet this moment and do the kind of work that's necessary uh, to advance our distance learning and to make sure that people are appropriately getting the resources and access to critical curricula related to homeschooling. In order to do that, we needed some private sector support. So today I'm also pleased to announce Google stepped up. Google stepped up in a big way. Uh, Google announced today, or we're announcing today, uh, with Google a partnership where they are providing 100,000 points of access to improve Wi-Fi and broadband capacity, and not only access to in the Internet, but quality access to the Internet. They're providing minimum three months free access uh, to high quality, uh, uh, well, to high quality access to broadband uh, throughout the state of California. Those 100,000 points will help us substantially address 
the digital divide issues, the rural issues, the equity issues that are at play, um, even in the best of times, but substantively are highlighted in these more difficult times. In addition to that, Google has announced thousands of Chromebooks that they'll also be making available for those that may say, well, that's wonderful. I have access to the Internet now, but I don't have anything to connect it to. Uh, and so they will be providing uh, those uh, Chromebooks in addition to providing minimum three months unlimited uh, capacity at 100-plus thousand sites throughout the state of California. Uh, we need more Googles. Uh, we still have a little bit more coverage that we're going to need in some of the more remote parts of the state, but this was a substantial enhancement uh, that came just at the right time with the labor management agreement, with the federal waiver, uh, and with now uh, the expectation that schools will close. I just want to end by making one personal point, and that is as a parent of four, the oldest being 10, uh, this has been a very stressful time. And so for all the parents out there, millions of you, uh, that now may be very anxious about the expectation your school is not going to reopen. You may have thought that was the case, but you were waiting to hear clarity, which I hope we're providing now today. Uh, let me just express deep respect and empathy, and particularly for mothers. And let me just say this openly. Um, I try to do my part uh, as a parent, uh, but my wife does an heroic amount of work, and the pressure uh, that we have placed now additional pressure on caregivers and parents, particularly women and moms, is extraordinary. Moms are already carrying a disproportionate amount of weight in terms of managing the household. Moms are also working, and many of them are teachers themselves that are having to provide distance learning, having to cope with all the stress and anxiety, looking out for all of their kids they love dearly and making sure they're taking care of their own kids and their child care needs and the like. Uh, and again, there's a gender reality connected to this. And I just want to go deeply to express uh, an appreciation to all of the moms, all of those teachers, all those caregivers. I know how stressful this is. Trust me, I know. And I know what we're asking of you over the course of the next few months. And I know you are looking forward to those graduations. You were looking forward to seeing, you know, how well you did with the SAT and those grades and, and competitive environment, particularly for our seniors. And, and, and all of those things were working in real time. And that's why I'm going to turn it over to the superintendent and Linda Darlingham to talk about partnerships with the UCs, California State University system, uh, and our community college system uh, to address A through G requirements and address uh, the issues associated with the SATs and graduation. Uh, but we know. Uh, that those anxieties run deep and they are justifiable. Uh, and so the care uh, and the deep uh, empathy and collaboration you provide uh, at this moment um, will never be forgotten. And I just want to know how deeply proud I am of everybody uh, that is going to step in to the void with these schools being closed, but these classes now continuing uh, so that we can educate our kids despite uh, this challenging moment. And so with that, uh, if I could ask uh, Tony Thurman, who's kind enough to join us uh, by phone, uh, to amplify some of this. And I just want to thank the superintendent for his wonderful leadership and really helping navigate a system uh, that is the most challenging education system in terms of jurisdictional uh, uh, diversity of any in the United States of America. Tony? Uh, thank you, Governor. 
I'm just happy to uh, echo the sentiments that the governor and uh, his team have provided about how unprecedented these times are. And, and given the height of the challenge, how important it is for us to put forward maximum um, social distancing so that we can flatten the curve. And for those reasons, it is so important that our schools continue to do what they are doing, that our schools are using distance learning. What I mean by distance learning is simply that the teacher and the student are in different places so that our students can continue to get education but done in a way that is safe. And uh, we've been in communication uh, with superintendents around the state urging all of our superintendents in our schools to uh, proceed as if um, we can only educate our kids through distance learning for the remainder of the school year. Quite frankly, none of us knows uh, when it's safe enough for our students to return to campus. We have to do the work that we heard Secretary Golly talk about today um, to, to uh, you know, promote social distancing and flatten the curve. But out of an abundance of caution, uh, we believe it is most important that all of our schools uh, maximize their efforts around distance learning to help all of our students. Uh, we know that this is difficult. We know that this is a challenge. But as it relates to the education of our kids, we have to rise to that challenge. And so while right now our campuses are closed to our kids, school is not out for the year. In fact, we are asking everyone to accelerate their efforts to make sure that our students get a great education. As the governor indicated, we're working with a number of philanthropic leaders to make sure that we can provide devices and access to Wi-Fi for many of our students who don't have them. We're providing professional learning and training for our teachers and other educators on how do we do distance learning. Uh, tomorrow will be at 3 p.m. There will be, for anyone who's interested, there will be a webinar with a number of experts and teachers who are also experts on how we can deliver special education through distance learning. We have literally surveyed just about every school district in the state to ask what your technology needs are. The California Department of Education is providing training. We're working collaboratively with our higher education institutions, many of whom have already announced that they will accept work in a pass, not pass format so that our seniors will not be, uh, it won't be held against them that they're not able to take the SAT, that the SAT will no longer uh, be uh, used as criteria for admissions, as was just announced today um, by the UC. We're working with our higher education uh, community to make sure that while we can't provide a graduation ceremony for our students, we can ensure that they graduate and that they move forward uh, on post-secondary educational opportunities. And so I want to thank the governor and his team. I want to thank the governor for his leadership. I want to encourage everyone to continue uh, social distancing. Uh, the California Department of Education will continue to provide support to any district that needs it uh, as it relates to distance learning. Um, this is a, a tough challenge, but as it relates to educating our kids, it's a challenge that we must meet. Uh, we can do more together. We're stronger together. And together we will support the educational needs of our 6 million students. And if there are questions, we're happy to hear them at uh, CDE at covid19.cde.ca.gov, and we'll stay in this conversation. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you joining us by phone. I'm also very grateful 
that we have the President of the State Board of Education, Linda Darling-Hammond, who's on the phone. Uh, and, Linda, I just want to ask you, and maybe you can give us a broad overview of the work you're doing to reinforce what the superintendent just said, that schools are closed, but classes are in. That just because the campus is closed doesn't mean we cannot accelerate learning in the state of California. Uh, perhaps you can amplify a little bit more on the distance learning efforts. Maybe a little bit more as well is about child care needs within the system and a little bit on food distribution. Sure. Um, well, we've been working collaboratively uh, with the governor's office and the department uh, to help districts launch distance learning, just about every district now is launching a distance learning plan if they had not done so earlier in March. Many were on break at that time and expecting to return, and uh, when it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, uh, districts have been uh, assertively getting out there, purchasing and getting contributions of tens of thousands of hotspots and devices to do digital learning wherever possible. Uh, when we uh, went into school closure, about 20% of California students lack digital connectivity at home. Um, we're probably uh, cutting that by more than half at this point, and we'll continue to um, continue to try to close the gap. I'm hopeful that uh, by the time we resume um, school-based uh, instruction, we will, in fact, have... Uh, uh, closed that digital gap and taught a lot of people, both kids and teachers and parents, how to engage in learning uh, online. But districts are also, uh, where they don't have that connectivity yet, using um, hard copy uh, packets for students, sending them out by school buses, you know, collecting them back. People have been extremely creative. Uh, Access collecting uh, on its website, the um, California School Administrators Association. Uh, what the plans are that districts have, uh, and uh, the uh, some of them are also uh, that are strong models are on the COVID website that Tony mentioned, uh, and uh, so people can see what uh, good distance learning looks like in districts and county offices are sharing those with each other. Uh, I also want to note that today we'll be posting guidance, uh, State Board and California Department of Education, on graduation requirements and grading that will make it clear how all students who are on track for graduation should be enabled to graduate. And I know some districts are going to hold those commencement ceremonies in the fall uh, or are hoping to. Uh, and further, the guidance will um, illustrate how students can and should be held harmless in grading, how their work can be acknowledged prior to the closure and um, continue to make progress uh, through the distance learning programs that are underway. We'll also be issuing later today a joint statement from the Department of Education, State Board, and our higher education partners, UC, CSU, community college systems, and the private nonprofit universities on solutions to a lot of the college admissions challenges that our juniors and seniors have been worrying about. Um, the colleges have agreed to accept uh, credit, no credit, or pass-fail grading where districts decide to use it for A through G courses and other courses during these recent quarters of the school year with no negative impact on student grade point averages. Colleges and universities are also extending a wide range of flexibilities for testing requirements, timing of payments, processes for transcripts, uh, reconsidering the needs for financial aid that students may have uh, because of changing circumstances of students and families. 
So uh, we're really pleased that everyone is joining arms and working together on behalf of the students. Uh, we are also, as you noted earlier, ensuring that students are getting fed. Uh, right now, there are about 5,200 sites across the state offered by more than 850 districts and charter schools where students are getting grab-and-go meals or being fed in cafeterias. Uh, many districts have expanded uh, their provision of meals so that uh, all students under the age of 18 are getting served or all of those in schools uh, that are uh, Title I schools with more than half of students living in poverty. So we're getting as many people fed as possible. And as you noted, the federal government has approved our request for waivers um, to make um, this process of uh, food access even more extensive. Um, we do have a number of districts that are setting up child care centers. I know in Los Angeles um, closed physical buildings. They opened 40 child care centers uh, for the uh, children of first responders and other essential workers. San Francisco's done the same. This is a, a strong need um, throughout the state, and I would say that it's the place where we need to put our oar down for, you know, additional uh, intensive work. Uh, but districts are um, also organizing where they can and reaching out to other um, community partners, boys and girls clubs, YMCA, YWCAs, and others to be partners in the child care process. Um, and we have had some um, flexibilities in the rules to make it uh, possible for more people to um, engage in that support for our workers and um, particularly our first responders and other essential workers. Thank you, Linda. And, and I should just note on the child care piece, uh, you've been working over time with our team and the superintendent uh, to put out new guidelines, a little bit more prescriptive uh, and more regionalized guidelines on the child care space. I will be signing an executive order uh, in the next day or so uh, that lays out those uh, specific guidelines and strategies based upon the feedback you're providing us and the feedback you're getting uh, from folks all across the state of California. Uh, thank you both of you for joining us today and thank you both for your leadership and thank you for meeting this moment uh, and again my deep respect and admiration to all the mothers out there and all the parents uh, that I know uh, are going to have to do just a little bit more than even they've had to do and again as someone that's trying to homeschool uh, their children trust me I know how difficult it is. And so thank you uh, for doing that and everything else you are doing. Uh, in the spirit of doing more and doing better, uh, let me just update you on a few things that uh, I'm very uh, proud of. And that is uh, we now have over 34,000 people, 34,000 people that have signed up on our healthcore.ca.gov uh, website. Uh, this was the core we announced just two days ago. We had 25,000 applications yesterday, now over 34,000 applications. We're, again, reviewing them. Not every single individual uh, will be ready to go. Uh, we're looking at geography. We're looking at specialty. Uh, we're looking to make sure uh, the licensing uh, can be dealt with and appropriated according to the very detailed uh, specificity that we've uh, 
uh, advanced as it relates to protocols for uh, making sure that people uh, are appropriately covered with insurance and making sure uh, that we have the professionalism that all of you expect. But again, 34,000 strong in just 48 hours uh, just is another example of people meeting the moment. And when I said we need more Googles, um, Linda Darling-Hammond made a point. We did a survey, a vulnerability map of the entire state of California to provide confidently 100% coverage where that digital divide is eliminated, at least from broadband access. It's 162,013 hotspots that we would need. Google's already providing 100,000. We'll see how far that can go. And it was based, that 162,000 number, on a survey. So we think we're actually closer than even that survey may suggest. Uh, but those that want to participate, those who want to join this call uh, to meet this moment and address further the issues of equity, uh, please contact us and uh, we will make sure you're highlighted uh, and we'll make sure uh, that your good work uh, is distributed throughout the state of California in terms of just the hardware, not just the software, uh, to help accelerate the work that Linda uh, and Tony Thurman are doing. I want to just briefly, before we close and open up to questions, uh, ask Dr. Angel to come up uh, to talk a little bit about what we put out yesterday, which were uh, some, uh, well, broad strokes guidelines uh, on face coverings. A lot of discussion around face coverings, what they are, what they're not. Let me just begin by making this point. They are not a substitute uh, for physical distancing. They are not a substitute for a stay-at-home order. They are not a call to get folks to find N95 masks or surgical masks and pull them away or compete against our first responders, our frontline employees uh, within our hospital system or broadly within our care delivery system, be it assisted living, skilled nursing facilities, police, fire, and the like. Uh, so face coverings broadly defined uh, can be additive but not a substitute to the social distancing, the physical distancing that is required of the moment to make that model mute and to make sure that we continue to bend that curve. And so with that, let me just ask Dr. Angel to come up briefly and uh, let folks know a little bit more about the guidelines we're putting out on the issues of facial coverings. Thank you, Governor. Just to reiterate as well, from an evidence perspective, our best defense against this virus is the types of implementation interventions that we currently are putting in place and we must continue to reinforce. That is washing hands, physical distance, and staying at home as often and for as much time as possible. That prevents exposure to other individuals who could pass the infection to you. And secondly, our care delivery system must be protected because when people get sick, if we don't defend our care delivery system, it won't be there to save lives. So when we talk about face coverings, we think about that within our, that context. So there is some evidence that using face coverings may reduce uh, the trans, uh, asymptomatic infections, and also it might signal to others that you need to keep a little bit of distance. It does also work through, quite simply, decreasing the amount of infectious particles that go into the air when we cough or we sneeze or we talk, particularly when we speak closely to other people. But again, it doesn't replace the need for physical distancing. 
So when we speak about the potential downfalls, which we also must acknowledge, they can be that if people have these masks on, they feel somewhat immune. They feel like they can get closer to other people. And when they do so, they decrease that great evidence-based intervention that we have, which is physical distancing. The other challenge is that when people use these face masks, if they're not comfortable and they're not washing their hands but they're touching the mask, the particles that they might get on their hands get onto their face, get into their eyes, and can infect them. So in short, there may be some benefit from using these, but only when they're used well. There are some counties that are introducing policies and recommendations around, or some counties introducing these recommendations, and, and they're being done so thoughtfully. And some of you, some of you who are listening and can use these face masks comfortably by still maintaining distance and by washing your hands and not touching your face may also get benefit from them. But in the end, the thing that we want to reinforce is that it, this really, the most important thing is physical distancing. And when that's done with some additional face face coverings, you may indeed get some additional protection. We don't want people to have a false sense of security with these face coverings. That's the most important thing. So if you use them, make sure you maintain that physical distance. Thank you, Dr. Angel. And so those guidelines uh, are forthcoming. Check your inbox. Uh, we'll be putting them out uh, today. Uh, so that's broad strokes where we are, some modeling uh, that we are socializing more publicly. Uh, we have hospitalization numbers uh, by county in the state that also uh, we're putting out today. Uh, new guidelines on child care coming out in the next day or so. Uh, we'll continue to do more and better in terms of our efforts to match uh, the appropriate level of personal protective gear uh, that is required at this moment. We are again working all around the world to procure as much PPE as possible. I should just note uh, that we have distributed now 35.4 million N95 masks in the state of California. 35.4 million have been distributed. Those numbers go up on a daily basis. As soon as we get uh, new N95 masks in, we get them out. Again, I use N95s as a proxy for all of the other protective gear that is required, the coveralls, the gowns, uh, the glove sets, uh, and the shields, and the surgical masks, and the like. Uh, we have, in addition to that, I referenced this a few days ago, uh, we have received our first two and a half tranches of distribu distributed uh, supply from the federal government, the strategic national stockpile. Uh, we were just informed this morning uh, that the fourth tranche uh, is being sent to the state. Uh, we were pleased to hear that as well. Uh, that is on the PPE side, not on the ventilator side. I mentioned a different partnerships we're trying to form around ventilators, which continues to be a top priority for us in the state of California. We have a few thousand we're procuring uh, from across the globe that are on their way, that have already been purchased. Uh, in addition to that, uh, working with private sector, uh, including uh, a conversation I had with the head of General Motors, uh, Mary Barra, and the work that they're doing on behalf of the president uh, as it relates to their production facilities and what that can mean in terms of the larger global supply domestically, that is, here in the United States and how California uh, can assert itself without getting in the way of other needs across the country. Uh, so with that, we'll happily answer any questions. Scott Schaefer, KQED. Uh, thanks, Governor. It's been a couple of weeks since your statewide social distancing order went into effect now, and it seems to be working, but 
you know, as a parent, you probably know that after a while the kids don't take you as seriously when you say the same thing over and over. And given that this could go on for a month or longer, um, how do you think about calibrating your message to the public so it doesn't seem old without, you know, turning the state into a police state, which I'm sure you don't want to do? No, I, I mean, I look, uh, Scott, it's the right question, and it's a very personal question, particularly for parents out there, um, and that is difficult. And, look, I have young kids. It's difficult. I can imagine having teenagers maybe even more difficult. And that's why we have to remind people of the power and potency of their individual decision-making. Uh, the real leaders are individuals. Uh, folks that are listening, that have the capacity to do something miraculous, and that's bend that curve uh, and go even lower, buy us even more time, quite literally save lives. And so it's really a civic moment. It's an opportunity to remind people of our common humanity. It's more than just rhetoric. It's more than just words. Uh, it's seen people exercise their civic duty and, and, and remind people uh, that, you know, we're all connected uh, and our decision-making has an impact on others. Uh, and so we're just doing our best in terms of messaging that. I, uh, I'll be a little more technical with you. Uh, we've been blessed by the overwhelming number of well-known celebrities, influencers, broadly defined, that have been doing PSAs, uh, some very formally uh, working with the state uh, and some informally, uh, that also have a profound influence on reminding particularly younger people, people that aren't watching this news conference, of the importance of their decisions. And to the extent, as you suggest, we need to enforce uh, social um, Enforcement is the most powerful uh, and influential, meaning other people just pointing uh, bad behavior out uh, and encouraging people to do the right thing. But we've done these soft closures of our parks and beaches. It's just a reminder uh, to uh, keep your distance physically. And to the extent we have to continue to do even more on hard closures, we'll do that in order to continue to enforce. But we just got to remind people uh, to stay at home. And to the extent you're not working, you're young, and you've finished all your schoolwork for the day and your homework to get ahead for the next day, um, you know, there's plenty available online to keep you occupied that, you know, for our grandparents didn't exist when they went to war and met this moment in an even deeper moment of anxiety oh God, for millions, millions of people around the world. All right, that's enough. Jesus, Governor, uh, Governor, Joseph. Governor Gavin Newsom there in the latest uh, updates for what the state has been doing. And I think the most significant today, especially for parents of kids, is – that Tony Thurman, state superintendent of public instruction, sent out a letter today, uh, late yesterday, sorry, that says, regards to the current status of schools in California, uh, we continue to keep our campuses closed to students during the pandemic. And it's clear that the students will not be able to return to school campuses before the end of the school year. That's not saying that the school year is over. It's just that no one's going to be going back to those campuses. Gavin Newsom saying his main priority is to procure additional beds for the inevitable surge in the cases across the state. He said there are currently 1,855 Californians hospitalized, more than 700 of which are in the ICU. He said that they're preparing to see a two-thirds increase based on recent modeling. Uh, they're trying to get an additional 27,000 beds on top of the 50,000 they already have. And one of the great moments of, gosh darn it, I need to not say moments. You're making the most of this moment. I'm making the most of this moment. I'm having a moment. In the moment. Uh, That 34,000 people went onto that website 
retired doctors or nurses yeah. or people that have stepped down to uh, to help out. Healthcore.ca.gov, uh, core, C-O-R-P-S, healthcore.ca.gov is where he's been inviting uh, doctors, medical professionals, dentists, uh, uh, mental health professionals to come on and volunteer uh, those that don't currently work in fields that are going to be needed in the next couple of weeks. And these are paid positions. It's not just a volunteer uh, issue, according to the governor. All the information is on their website about who they're looking for specifically and how it is that you go about getting your name added to lists where they can get a hold of you. Again, it's healthcore.ca.gov. By the way, when he first announced it on Monday, uh, the governor, when he was talking about that website, he was saying that the universe of retired doctors, nurses, dentists, et cetera, that, that they would be choosing from, they estimated it at about 37,000. So for there to already wow. be 34,000 that have signed up is amazing. That is incredible. That is such good news. All right. Uh, our small business shout out is going to come up in just a couple of minutes next on Gary and Shannon. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up after Layla's news at the top of the hour, it looks like we'll be getting an update from L.A. County on the latest numbers here. Reminder, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom came out and along with the state superintendent of public instruction said, it does not look like we're going to be able to return to school campuses before the end of the school year. And that doesn't mean that school is over uh, and talked about different um, ways to make sure that kids are still learning Via computer, remote learning, uh, Google stepped forward and said that they were going to bring in and uh, accentuate a thousand different Wi-Fi points around the state to make sure the kids did have Internet access so that they could keep up. Uh, But the significant thing that, that kids will not be able to go back to school campuses before the end of the school year. Well, we are trying to highlight small businesses and see what we can do to help keep them afloat. And today we're talking to Kim Peoples, the owner of Vomfoss in Claremont. Kim, thanks for joining us. Oh, Gary and Shannon, thank you so much for highlighting us today. Excited to be here. Uh, So first of all, explain what Vomfoss is, what people could find there. Yeah, so Vomfoss, funny little name. It's German. It means from the cask or from the barrel. And we specialize in olive oils, balsamic vinegars. We have gourmet food items. And most importantly, during this crisis, we have craft whiskeys, wine, brandies, and vodkas. We, we did a story earlier that said that uh, that alcohol sales in general are up about 40% since all of our stay-in-place orders have been issued. It is true. I would uh, say that that's probably the most of what we're selling right now is because uh, we do a little home delivery, curbside pickup, and people are getting their uh, their whiskeys and their wines for sure. Now, a lot of the stuff that you sell would be considered probably ingredients for people. Is this an opportunity for them to learn how to make new stuff using your ingredients? It is. I mean, it's a great time to cook at home, stay at home, right? And so what we say to folks is, you know, we've been posting some recipes and we've got ideas on how to use all our products. You can just call me and ask me. But almost every recipe starts with extra virgin olive oil, and that's what we specialize in. Oh, that sounds so good right now. It's like a loaf just of a, bread. Just a warm cup uh, of uh, yeah. extra virgin yes. olive oil. Yes. <laughs> a little bread dipping with uh, some uh, balsamic. Oh, my gosh. It would be so good. Stop it. Now, uh, <laughs> you guys uh, there in Claremont, you've described it. I'm basically a specialty grocery store. Explain the process of, of ordering and either picking it up or delivering. How's it been going for you? 
Yeah, so you can do um, one of four things. You can walk in 11 to 6 every day. We're here. We're maintaining, you know, of course, uh, social distancing, only allowing certain pe- or a certain amount of folks in the store. You can do curbside. You just call ahead at 909-399-0256 to do curbside pickup or delivery or shipping if you're outside of our delivery area. Basically, I'm delivering about 15, free delivery about 15 miles outside of the shop. Call me. I might work out a deal to go a little further. Uh, and then how are you guys doing in general? I know that this has been a massive hit for, for you and for stores like uh, like you. Um, have things been, you know, busy enough that you're able to pay bills, or is this going to get? Is this going to be a massive problem? It's going to be tough. Um, you know, sales are down about seventy percent. I mean, that's a hard, it's a hard thing to take. And um, you know, for my employees especially, because I had to let everybody go. And um, you know, it's a tough. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but it's a very tough time for all us small businesses out here. And you know, in Claremont, we're almost all small businesses, so get out here and support us if you can. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be tough. And, of course, we've applied for loans and whatever the government can do to help us at this time. But, uh, you know, who knows how long it'll take for those to get to us. Yeah, they really need to step in and provide some immediate relief for these small businesses. Uh, along those lines, do you, do you think that um, well, how how has that process been going in terms of reaching out to the government for the help? Because we've been also hearing from other uh, other small business owners who said, you know, they're doing something, but it's not going to be anywhere close to enough. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of funny because you don't even really know what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> I did go online and fill out for the SBA loan, but there was no indication of timing or, you know, or how how much. And, of course, you know, a lot of that has to be paid back, so now you're taking on more debt, and um, I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to work, to be honest with you. All right, Kim Peoples, owner of Vomfoss in Claremont. They are open 11 to 6 p.m. for walk-in service. They're offering curbside pickup, delivery, shipping options, and you know what's comforting? Olive oil. Mm. <laughs> Kim, hang in there. Thank you for taking time for us today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys for highlighting us. And a shout-out to all those Claremont businesses out there. Thank you. Thanks, Absolutely. Kim. You can check out, uh, again, it's vomfossusa.com, V-O-M-F-A-S-S-U-S-A.com, vomfossusa.com, uh, along with uh, Vomfoss and uh, the Derby and all of these other places that we've highlighted. We have a list on our website that you can go check out. If you need a place to go tonight, to check out, grab some takeout or delivery, whatever it is, and help these restaurants stay alive. Go to Gary, uh, KFIAM640.com and use the keyword Gary and Shannon. All right. We will get an update from the county when we come back to Gary and Shannon. And we're heading out to a news conference with L.A. County and an update from Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Thank you so much, Supervisor Barger, and, and thanks to the entire board of supervisors. Um, their efforts uh, and their leadership are making a difference in our county. We're all extraordinarily lucky to have uh, such committed, dedicated leaders and such insightful leaders that are really setting the path forward. I also want to acknowledge and thank both our partners at the city, uh, the mayor, the mayor's office, and our partners at the state, the governor, and and all of his team, particularly uh, the public health director and Dr. Mark Galley. 
for all of their guidance and support. You know, it does uh, require that we have a coordinated effort across the entire state uh, with our large cities, uh, and I couldn't be uh, more proud to be part of this team that really is uh, responding in a coordinated and collaborative fashion. So thanks to everyone. Uh, I want to update you uh, again on our current status today. Uh, once again, I'm, I'm saddened to report that we have an 11, 11 additional deaths today. Uh, nine of the people who passed are over the age of 65. Uh, and of those who died who were over 65, seven people had underlying health conditions. Uh, the other two deaths uh, occurred among uh, people who were younger, one person who was between the ages of 18 and 40, and the other person was between the ages of 41 and 65. Uh, both of these uh, people had underlying health conditions. Uh, this brings the total number of deaths to 65 in L.A. County, and our mortality rate for COVID-19 remains at 1.8%. Um, 88% of the people who have been uh, who are positive for COVID-19 and have died uh, did have underlying health conditions. But as I've noted, uh, some people who unfortunately have lost their lives uh, do not have underlying health conditions. Um, every day reporting these numbers is devastating, uh, and I know it's more devastating uh, for the lives of the families and friends who have experienced this tremendous loss. I'm so very sorry uh, for your loss, and I want you to know that we all keep you in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, today we're also reporting an additional 513 new cases. That means over the last 48 hours, we've announced uh, over 1,000 new cases, and the total number of cases here in L.A. County now stands at 3,518. Uh, these cases include 133 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 33 cases reported by the city of Pasadena, which, as you know, have independent city health departments. Uh, we're also confirming today that we now have five uh, cases of uh, people who are positive with COVID-19 amongst people who are experiencing homelessness. 79% uh, of all of our positive cases still occur among people between the ages of 18 and, 60, and 65, and this number remains constant since the beginning of the outbreak. In terms of hospitalization data, uh, to date, 733 people have been hospitalized at some point during their illness, and that amounts to now 21% of all of our positive cases. Today, there are 341 people who are hospitalized for COVID-19. 210 people are 55 and older, and 141 people are over the age of 65. 76% of the people who are hospitalized today have no documented underlying health conditions. So again, I want to stress that uh, people in the hospital are dispersed amongst all age categories, and, uh, and there are a significant number of people who are requiring hospital care who do not have underlying health conditions. So this disease does cause, in fact, serious illness amongst people of all ages. And everyone should take seriously uh, the fact that they are at risk, not only for illness from COVID-19, but potentially for serious illness, even if they're not falling in one of what we were 
what we've been referring to as a high-risk category, people with underlying illness, people who are over the age of 65, and pregnant women. Currently, 20% of people who are hospitalized today are in the ICU, the intensive care unit, and 36% of those in the ICU are 65 years old or older, and 55% of people in the ICU have underlying health conditions. Four people in the ICU are under the age of 35. Three people are, who are under the age of 35 do have underlying health conditions. You can see an update report of our L.A. County cases on our Department of Public Health's website. That's www.publichealth.lacounty.gov. I do want to spend a few minutes uh, talking about cases at institutional settings. Uh, again, uh, these are settings that include nursing homes, skilled nursing homes, assisted living facilities, residential treatment programs, shelters, uh, jails, and prisons. Um, we are currently investigating 43 uh, institutions uh, where they have at least uh, one positive case of COVID-19. Uh, the total confirmed cases amongst all of the institutional settings uh, as of today uh, that we're investigating is now 207, and that includes both staff and residents. 148 of the confirmed cases are among residents in these institutions, and 96 are staff. We're sad to report that seven people have died from COVID-19 who resided in institutional settings. Uh, the majority of these, they were in four different institutional settings, uh, including nursing homes and assisted living facilities and uh, an extended care facility. Uh, we will be posting a list of all the facilities that have confirmed cases on our website uh, once a facility has had an opportunity to notify their staff, residents, and families. As I noted uh, yesterday, our DPH teams are investigating at every single one of the sites where there has been a positive case in an institutional setting, and they're working hard to help management and staff do their best to protect the health of all of their residents uh, and their staff, because many of them have employees that also have become infected with COVID-19. And I do want to uh, clarify that while I try to be as transparent as possible and provide as much information as possible, um, I do have to weigh that with our obligation to maintain as much as possible patient confidentiality. So there are some times where I'm not disclosing some information, and it's really uh, because I don't want to risk viola violating the privacy of a person who's positive. Uh, so please understand and bear with us. Uh, around our limitations on the reporting. Um, I want to do an update on testing as well. Uh, as of yesterday, uh, over 21,000 people uh, have been tested in L.A. County. That's actually an underreport because we have a couple of labs that have not given us uh, the number of people who they tested who reported they reported as negative. Uh, so about 12 to 13 percent of folks are positive right now who have been tested but again, I think that number will change tomorrow when we get all of the negative uh, reports in as well. We'll have had more people who actually got tested, and that will bring down the rate in terms of the number of people who are positive. Uh, we've seen a lot of big improvements in testing capacity. 
Uh, and I want to really uh, sort of give a shout-out to Dr. Kazan and his team and all of the commercial and private labs and hospitals that have stepped up to make it easier for people to get tested. Uh, but capacity still is limited, so I ask you to have patience and work with a provider to determine whether or not it's clinically appropriate and medically necessary for you to be tested for COVID-19. Um, we're learning more every single day um, about this virus, uh, and we're really benefiting from a large group of researchers and scientists that are doing a lot of studying of who this, what this virus is and who's most likely to get infected. But because it's a new virus um, and because we're learning more every day, it also does mean that we need to pivot on some of our guidance. Uh, and there's increasing evidence, as I noted yesterday, that there are people who are infected with COVID-19 but don't have any symptoms. And for some of these people, there's also evidence that they're able to spread the infection. So they don't feel sick. They don't think they're sick. Uh, they have no signs or symptoms of respiratory illness. Uh, when they're tested, they end up being positive, and it ends up that they've also transmitted uh, even though they're asymptomatic to other people. Uh, and that's the benefit we're getting from the researchers and scientists who are able to look back in time and better understand the patterns around disease transmission. This means, however, that even if you're feeling fine or if you're around people who are feeling fine, you and the other person that you're with could be infected and you're able to infect others and others you're with are able to infect you. So more than ever, I ask that you adhere to the principle of taking universal precautions because we need to assume, even if we're feeling fine, we could, inf we could be infected and we could infect others. Uh, and others who are without symptoms fall in the same category. They're feeling fine, they look fine, but they can still infect you. What do we mean with our guidance about, you know, stay home and, and who needs to stay home and what does social distancing really look like? Unfortunately, it means uh, stay home with the people who you live with. So if your household, uh, you know, has eight people in it, then you all are together and you're one household. But please don't invite other people to come to dinner. Uh, please don't go out to someone else's house for dinner. The whole idea is that you stay in as small a unit as possible uh, in terms of the people that can expose you and the people that you're exposing, uh, and that you limit your contact with everybody else so that if somebody in your household gets sick, that person can isolate, the rest of you can quarantine, and you cannot spread it to anybody else uh, in the rest of the community. So it is important that you stay with your household, uh, don't invite people over for dinner. I know it's really hard uh, to, to stay with the same people. Use your social media tools uh, and your phones as ways of connecting with other people. But please don't be having exchanges with people who are living in other houses or other households. You just need to contact them uh, remotely at this point. Uh, thank you, and we'll take the next question. And our next question comes in line of Tony Barbosa with L.A. Times. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, Tony. Hi. Yeah, this is a question for uh, Barbara. I wanted to know um, what specifically um, the county or other authorities are doing to expand testing in low-income communities of color where, uh, where we understand um, local leaders have, have raised a lot of concerns about lack of access to getting tests even um, uh, in the first place. And then second, I was wondering if you could address whether um, you are collecting or 
whether there is data being collected on uh, the race or other demographics of those who are being tested and those who are uh, being uh, confirmed positive. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Um, I think that I can um, say that for those um, folks that are confirmed as positive, um, uh, that we've actually uh, been able to speak to and collect information from. We are trying to get good information about race and ethnicity. We don't often get that from lab reports. So I want to say if you were to look at who is getting tested by race and ethnicity, it would be uh, very incomplete data. Um, we even are struggling for the data to be as complete as we'd like it to be uh, for people who test positive, and that's really... Uh, dependent on whether or not we're able to get information from medical records and and or from interviews. So I want to note that limitation, particularly on all of the people who are tested but are negative, which are still the majority of people being tested. We just don't have that that information uh, from the lab reports. Um, I do appreciate your question about equity issues related to testing, and I know I've, I've spoken to you earlier about this uh, and that we're really trying to dig into sort of access around testing and what do we know about disproportionality, about who was, uh, who's able to get tested and why that's happening. I think Dr. Kazan can talk best to um, sort of the increased capacity, and our hope is that, you know, we're paying attention to some of the areas where, in fact, we know there has been less testing. You know, uh, San Gabriel Valley, for example, um, you know, some of the outlying areas up in Lancaster, some of the communities around South L.A., where it definitely looks like, based on the data we have, that there are less people uh, that are being tested. Part of that is, is working with providers as well so that they understand their obligation to do clinical assessments for folks uh, and recommend people who need to be tested uh, to get that testing. But the other part, as you're noting, is how easy is it to find a place where I can get a specimen taken and then have that specimen sent to the lab. My team is trying to do a more detailed report for you. Um, so hopefully in the next few days we'll be able to break down some of the testing data uh, more more accurately so that you could take a harder look at, at what we think might be happening. But appreciate that question. And we'll go on to the next question. Our next question comes from the line of Dave Lopez with Channel 2 and 9 News. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Yes, good afternoon to all of you. Doctor, you, you partially answered this, but I, I know this may be an impossible number to reach, but what number would be satisfactory for you and your uh, investigators to be able to tell when we hit the peak, you mentioned three weeks, uh, can you give us a number of how many should be tested? Will there come a point where we can test everybody, or would that be necessary? And one last point, should we be ready to stay in place like we're living now through the month of May and possibly into June? Wow. I'd be, I'd be like so happy if I were the person that could answer your questions. Um, because I know like we all want to know that and, and I can't. Um, what we'll do, the only way we know when we've uh, peaked and then we start uh, going in the other direction is when that actually happens. We do look every day at the rate of acceleration and I try to report to all, all of the viewers and listeners and readers on, you know, what the doubling looks like, uh, what, uh, you know, last week we had tripled, this week we're doubling, so that people can see what the rate of increase is. And we do look at sort of what will be our capacity for testing. You know, my sense is that probably at some point next week we'll be able to um, do 10,000 tests a day. 
Um, and if we stay at 10 percent of people tested are going to be positive, that means that every day we would have 1,000 people uh, who might be positive. Um, so if that rate holds steady, that we can anticipate, that would be the number of cases we would see for a while. And then we just have to watch uh, very carefully what's happening with demand on the hospitals and people uh, really doing their part around social distancing so that we don't see additional peaks uh, that really could be prevented. But I, I don't have the answers to when that's going to happen. And again, we've got some modeling data, and we're going to try to report back out on that you know, later this week on what some of the experts are saying uh, when they plug in some of our data about what we might expect and when that peak might happen. Um, so hopefully I answered that, but we'll go on to the next question. Our next question comes from the line of John Antzak with Associated Press. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, staying on the topic of uh, testing, uh, we know we're adding capacity to test, but are we also adding capacity to process those tests? How are we doing that? And uh, what is the backlog of, uh, current backlog of completed tests to be reviewed? Now, that's a really good question, and that's a question that, you know, I've been pretty focused on because it doesn't really help us as much as it ought to if there are really long waits for people to find out whether they're positive. And that's particularly true right now when we're testing people who are symptomatic. It's really important for us to know if they're positive, both for their medical treatment, but also so that we can immediately move those people into isolation identify their close contacts and have their close contacts quarantining. Those are still essential tools. And, uh, and we, we need to work hard, particularly with the commercial labs, to make sure that they're increasing their capacity to process the tests. Every week, uh, my team looks at uh, what the average length of time is uh, between the time a, a specimen arrives at a lab and the time we get a result. And as I reported last week uh, or earlier this week, it was last, for last week it was five to six days on average. Uh, that means in some places, particularly I want to give a lot of credit to our hospitals and, and some, of the, some of the additional lab capacities that have been built up, that, that they're doing it in 24 to 48 hours. But in other places, people have told me that, have told us they're waiting 8, 10, 12 days and that's what the data shows. So we need to get those numbers down. I think everyone is working their hardest. I want to give a lot of credit to all of the labs uh, for trying to do just what you said. Make sure the processing capacity is equal to the capacity to collect specimens. Next question. The next question comes on the line of Melanie Mason with LA Times. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, Dr. Ferrer. I have a couple questions I'll try and tick through as efficiently as I can. You mentioned the five people experiencing homelessness with COVID-19. Are any of them hospitalized? And if so, are any in the ICU? And is that figure separate from the people working in the shelters? You had mentioned uh, the case of one positive case uh, yesterday. Um, secondly, on testing, we were just talking about testing capacity for processing. Can you approximate how many of those 21,000 tests you mentioned are still awaiting results? And is there a point where the delay in processing um, those tests affects the quality of the samples? Um, and then I have a third question for you about supplies being requested from county hospitals, but it's a little more involved, so I'll throw those to you first. Okay. So on the testing question, everything that I report is on results. So when I report the number of tests, I'm reporting the number of tests that I have results for, and I'm reporting the total number, which includes the number of people who tested negative, 
and the number of people who tested positive. Um, so the, none of that information is about pending results, but we do get information from the labs, so we're able to track over time what the length of time is between the time they receive a specimen and the time they send us a result. So, so, so I think that takes care of that question in terms of how we're reporting. The first question on homeless, on people experiencing homelessness, yes, the numbers I reported today are five people, uh, individual people who are experiencing homelessness. It's not the staff. There are currently two staff uh, that we know of that uh, have, uh, are providing services at two different uh, institutional settings that have also tested positive. Um, of the folks um, who are persons experiencing homelessness, uh, of those five people that I know about today, none of them have passed. Um, uh, and I don't really know for sure whether anybody is in the hospital. I don't think anybody is in the hospital, but I'd have to confirm that information. Thank you. Thanks. Next question. Thank you. Um, and oh, yeah. You had another question. I, uh, yes. Go ahead. I, I did. I appreciate it. Um, when it comes to supplies being requested, I know the hospitals are coming to you, to the county, to, to request supplies, but then you guys are, are filtering up the chain. Are you able to give us any sense of what supplies and the quantity of the supplies that are being requested and how you guys are moving those requests up the chain and if you, the county has received supplies in response to those requests yet? Yes, we uh, we have received supplies from the state and national stockpile. Those are distributed through the EMS agency. There is data on the DHS uh, internet website that provides the sum total and the weekly total of supplies that have been distributed to hospitals and healthcare providers across the county. That's a weekly count by PPE category, for example, by gloves, gowns, N95 masks, surgical masks. The ventilator number are not included in there. We've only uh, given out two or three ventilators to hospitals. Uh, the vast majority of hospitals still have sufficient ventilators on hand, so EMS has not needed to distribute those. On that, uh, that dashboard, what's included online, it does not include the number that was requested. It just includes the number that was distributed. Uh, these numbers are changing on a daily basis based on both supplies coming in from the state and national stockpile as well as supplies that are coming in from our own internal county uh, supply chain. Uh, and then they're being distributed out based on demand and the size of the facility uh, requesting. Next question. Our next question comes from the line of Steve Gregory with KFI News. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thank you and good afternoon. Um, and this could either be for Dr. Galley or Dr. Ferrer. Um, I'm being told that the, the lab, the county labs, um, are working eight hours a day and not weekends. I'm wondering um, if that is the case and why are not lab workers working overtime and on weekends to speed up the turnaround time on test results? Also, Dr. Ferrer. Um, can um, I just, maybe the, we'll just take that question. Um, so the county public health lab, we're working 18 hours a day and we work seven days a week. I'm, I'm not sure what, what lab uh, you might be thinking of, like, uh, Dr. Galley could talk about what's happening with the lab that she has uh, in, at, at DHS. But our county lab is, is, has been, since the very beginning, processing 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that. The other question the, has to do with people that um, has to do with people who um, have passed, uh, have been able to recover 
from COVID-19, but it might still be in their system. Is there any issue or danger with someone still being contagious, even though they've, they've been sort of given a clean bill of health in terms of the illness itself, but it's still being in their system? I'll let Dr. Ferrer take that question just as a follow-up to your previous question. Uh, a variety of DHS facilities have labs. We have started in-house testing at uh, one of our hospitals with the remaining hospitals coming online soon, and all of our hospital labs are 24-7. But I'll turn the other question over to Dr. Ferrer. Yeah, can you just uh, repeat your, your, the second question you asked? Just so you know, we're not bombarding you on purpose. Oh, yeah. um, the, uh, the, the question is, people that have recovered from COVID-19, and it's still in their system, and I know they have the antigens and whatnot, but um, is someone still contagious after the fact, even though they've passed it or they've recovered from the illness, can they still be contagious? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. Um, as with, you know, sort of many of the questions about how this virus actually um, acts within our bodies. Uh, we don't have a definitive answer, except all evidence indicates um, that on average, once you are asymptomatic, uh, that your symptoms actually disappear after you've been sick, um, and you've been like three days without a fever, three days without any symptoms. Um, it's, we haven't heard of cases uh, where people have transmitted after that. I think the area that it's going to be gray for a little bit is what do we know about people who are asymptomatic, are positive, and never, ever develop any symptoms? Like, what's their clear date? Um, and right now, there's really not ample evidence to suggest what that would be, although in general, uh, you know, our rule of thumb is, you know, seven days out from when you started, uh, when you knew you were positive, you're generally not as infectious not infectious at all if you had symptoms and the symptoms disappeared. But we're going to need more study about what's happening with asymptomatic people who never go on to develop symptoms, which is a small group of people. Some people are asymptomatic for a little while and then they get symptoms, but some people it looks like they never, ever got sick. Um, so we're going to have to see what that, what that looks like. Um, but thanks for that question. We'll take one more question. And our last question comes from the line of Claudia Pesciuta with... KNX Radio. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, Claudia. Uh, just want to confirm that there's a county probation officer who's tested positive and see if there are any updated numbers for the sheriff's department and the fire department. Also wondering if you've gotten any clarification from the CDC on the team from Lancaster. Um, and then uh, you know, I'm hearing from a lot of people who are saying, you know, uh, somebody who worked in this building tested positive and we didn't find out for several days. And so, you know, I'm wondering if there's any thought being given to doing a, you know, possible exposure advisory as, as you do for measles, which I know is highly contagious and this is different. Um, it's not the same thing, but still uh, people seem to want to get that sort of advisory. Sure. Um, so for the, the team from Lancaster, we're still waiting to hear back from the Centers for Disease Control. They're obviously doing some more extensive testing, so it might take a little bit. Um, in terms of, of this last question um, about what, what do we, um, you know, oh, well, let me go to the earlier question about the numbers of people that are infected in different departments. You'd have to check with the sheriff 
and the fire department uh, to get information about uh, their numbers of, of their staff. I, I want to be honest. Uh, we have, you know, as you know, thousands and thousands of cases now, uh, and it's really hard for us to track everybody who's in different departments uh, across the county family. But I know that there's particular attention that's being paid by both the fire department and the sheriff department and would ask that you verify numbers with them. Um, the same thing in terms of uh, the person uh, who works at the probation department. Uh, one thing I can say is where, whenever there's an exposure in a setting, I mean, so yes, there is a positive person, a uh, staff person who works at probation. The only reason we've even been talking about it is that there might have been exposures uh, to young people, and we're checking on whether or not uh, there's any need for us to do more uh, detailed investigations in any institutional settings. Um, but in general, uh, what we report on are institutional settings where there's been a risk and not all the different people that uh, at this point are positive for COVID-19. I do hear you about the request that would it be helpful to issue advisories in buildings where, where people worked uh, or they frequently it. And I know you've seen us do that a lot for measles. Measles is airborne, and we often can't trace close contacts, and that's why we do it. Uh, we still really relied on identifying close contacts and making sure that close contacts are notified and then taking action appropriate for those people who are close contacts, which, as you know, is that they need to be quarantined. It's very rare that an entire building, uh, you know, especially a, a building with many floors, uh, that there were a lot of exposures on all the floors, so much so that everyone in the building uh, is at risk. Uh, but I will, I will take back to our team sort of this desire for people to have a better understanding of how they can protect themselves, because I think that's what's behind that, is if I don't know if I had an exposure, which I don't, and uh, we keep saying there's no way to really know at this point, but if I don't know that I've had an exposure, then, uh, then I, I'm sort of a little bit in the dark, and maybe I don't need to be so much in the dark. So I'll take that. Um, we'll take that back to our team and see if there's a way to manage this a little bit better so that people have some reassurance. But thanks for the questions. Uh, we're going to close out uh, the English part of the press briefing. There you go, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of Public Health for Los Angeles County, wrapping up today's uh, COVID-19 response news conference. Uh, among other things, the, the updated numbers, 11 new deaths, 65 total in L.A. County, uh, 513 new cases, which means that we have 3,518 positives throughout L.A. County, uh, particularly scary in terms of what could be a big problem in the next couple of weeks. She said there are 43 institutional settings. Think of uh, arrest homes, uh, long-term care facilities, 43 institutions that have at least one case in them, and some of them have many, so uh, that they would be keeping an eye on on those. The other thing is she spoke about the the ongoing discussion, perhaps, about the importance of masks, whether or not you and I and anybody else who might be out in public, if you go to the grocery store, doctor's office, whatever, if you should be wearing a mask. And what Dr. Ferrer said was most important for uh, that wearing of masks is going to be most important for those people on the front lines, medically speaking, and those first responders. And that most of the time, those masks that they would use are those N95 masks, the ones with the uh, the filter in in them. And surgical masks as well, but mostly, most importantly, the N95 masks. She says the public, the vast majority of the public does not need 
any of those N95 masks. You're not going to be close enough to somebody that you're going to need one. You're not going to it's not going to make a giant difference one way or the other that things like a scarf, a bandana, fabric, even those cloth surgical masks can help prevent the spread, but not necessarily prevent you from getting it. It would prevent you from giving it. If you are asymptomatic and you happen to cough or sneeze or whatever uh, around other people, that that can help keep your fluids in. Well, and I got to believe that there was some information, uh, maybe anecdotal or otherwise, that people thought they could put on a mask and then go live their daily lives, lives, you know, and, and they wanted to make sure to get it out to stay at home. And they said, well, is it okay to have no, a couple of friends over for a dinner party. They said, no, stay at home with the people you live with, and that is it. Yeah, she, she said that it, specifically to that language, the language that she used was masks do not replace the other orders that we've given of stay home, social distancing, and wash your hands. Uh, she said there's increasing evidence that people with no symptoms can have it and pass it on to others, and that staying home, social distancing, those are the greatest tools we have, the most important tools we have. So that's the update for L.A. County. We also got the update earlier today from Governor Newsom regarding what's going on at a state level. And perhaps the most significant thing that came out of his speech was that Tony Thurman, the state uh, state superintendent of public instruction, said that students will not be able to return to school campuses before the end of this school year, whether it was uh, beginning of June, second week of June, that sort of thing. So the letter that the state superintendent put out last night said there is no way to suggest or this is no in no way to suggest that school is over for the year but rather that we should put all our efforts into strengthening our delivery of education through distance learning so there were um corporations volunteers etc that had stepped up to make sure that those places that do not have number one access to the internet uh, or do not have the tools to then access the Internet, that those things are taken care of, that we do have Google Wi-Fi hotspots that are set up throughout the state, that then kids also have computers to hook up to the Internet so that they can get the type of learning, the continued learning that other students are getting as well. Newsom said there are currently 1,855 Californians hospitalized, uh, about 700 people in the ICU He says right now they're focusing on getting more of those medical supplies, including 27,000 beds on top of the 50,000 we already have. This is going to be a rough April. Um, And something Nick put together, by the way, it looks like the doctor who is at Gavin Newsom's press conferences, Dr. Mark Galley, who's the, uh, the health secretary for the state, is married to the doctor in L.A. County, Dr. Galley, Christina Galley. I never knew that. Well, I didn't either. Well, now they're on the same team. That's right. And they're living separate lives as of right now, probably. Oh, yeah. Because Mark Galley's been in Sacramento all day. Every right. Day. Um, I did see an interview. Speaking of this, and we, I tried to ask Dr. Ferrer a couple of times when we had her on. How she's doing, just in terms of what her day is like and how do you stay going 24 hours a day when this is going on? I saw an interview with Dr. and she avoided the question. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, right? Uh, the Fauci, uh, America's point guard. Um, and his wife is apparently a very high-end uh, medical executive as well, but spent a long-time career as a nurse before she got into administration. And 
He said his wife had to warn him, you're going to burn out unless you take care of yourself. Yeah. Because he's doing 20, 20 hour days, 22 hour days where he's not eating anything. Well, the he's adrenaline 70, is running high. Six years old. He's got to take care of himself. So yeah. he said it was about a week ago, two weeks ago, where he had to take time. He had to make sure that he was eating. He had to make sure that he was uh, not continuously talking about this all day, every day. And uh, that's important, I think, for all of us to remember. Hey, tomorrow we are going to do something special along with the uh, Chargers and CBS KCAL uh, helping raise funds for LAUSD students and their families. There'll be a day-long fundraiser coming up. CBS KCAL, CBS NLA, their digital platform from 6 in the morning through 11 o'clock at night. You can raise money and supplies and awareness for L.A. students most in need. Um, they will be helping, or you will be, helping provide free meals for the 500,000 people a day at the grab-and-go locations around the county. There's also a need for just basic school supplies, paper, pencils, et cetera, to help students learn at home. And some of the students, in, um, like I mentioned, are in need of Internet connections, Chromebooks, computers, that sort of thing, to help keep connected to their online learning tools. So tomorrow from 6 o'clock, through 11 o'clock, iHeartRadio Los Angeles, the LA Chargers, and CBS KCAL are going to help raise funds. So you can go online. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. I just got a text. Uh, Michael Badgley will come on with us tomorrow at 1030. The money. Bad. Did you see him kicking field goals with rolls of toilet paper? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you can go to KFIAM640.com slash need for all of the information on tomorrow's big fundraiser. And we'll, of course, talk about it more tomorrow. Oh, and if you're interested, there is a new cornhole virtual app. Okay. Score Holio. Uh, our movie tonight. Our movie tonight is Overboard. Oh. You sound no, I'm not disappointed. But we're talking about the old, the yeah, old, the, the original. original 1987 Overboard with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, not the one with um, Amy uh, Anna Ferris. Yes, not the one with Anna Ferris that just came out recently. All right, John and Ken show is coming up next. <clears throat> How do you feel today? I feel great. Okay. I worked out this morning. I'm yeah. feeling strong. Okay. I'm going to go home, get on the treadmill. Uh, uh, two a days. Do my huh? puzzle. Two a days. Okay. I'm an inmate. All right. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. <laughs> Blessings. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to Gary and Shannon? And then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness.